Welcome to the 3-0 Podcast, where bad language, adult themes and talks of football may occur. Hello there, and welcome back to the 3-0 Podcast. My name is Chuck, and I'm joined today by our Chelsea fan, Matt Goff, our United connoisseur, Ethan Ornston, and our special guest, Connor Muir, from the Bundle Podcast, another Chelsea fan. Yeah. Hello. Hello, guys. How are we doing? Pleasure to be on. So, we're going to start off today with uh, a point from Ethan. Yeah, so um, I just wanted to start off today, really, um, just to discuss my old, um, say old, my current hometown club um Portsmouth uh I've pretty much lived here my entire life um and as much as it's maybe not my first team it's a team that I've followed ever since I was a kid a lot of my family are Portsmouth fans um and yeah it's quite an interesting story uh the story of Portsmouth from almost like a rags to riches and then back to rags again I think that's sort of the way that it's it's managed to sort of pan out. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah. I lived in Portsmouth for a couple of years, and I I knew some really die-hard Portsmouth fans. They they kept on going on about how they they were the best, and yeah, they would it, be again. It very much is like the whole island mentality and the fact that like we're all like one club and it's like a one club city. It, it is very we we think it very territorial about our club, um, but. Yeah, the sort of era I'm going to try and sort of focus on was from the late 90s when uh, Mellon Mandrick took over all the way through till 2012, 2013 and sort of what happened to Portsmouth between then. Um, I'm guessing you three don't have too much of a background on Portsmouth apart from, you know, the seven or eight years there in the Prem no. in the mid-2000s. Mm, yeah. I was going to say, li- literally all I know about Portsmouth is that, like you say, they've started pretty low, went up pretty high. <clears throat> uh, David James and Peter Crouch play- played for them. But other than that, don't really know too much. Other than yeah. seeing them as a kid from about 2008, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I swear Harry Redknapp managed them at one point, didn't he? Did he manage yeah, them? Yeah, he did. He is yeah. a he's a very well known figure at um, Portsmouth. Harry Redknapp is. Yeah. But so I've, if if I start it off, so I think the the whole Portsmouth story, um, especially their recent history, really starts off in 1999. So in the 90s or the late the late 90s, not like 98, 99. Portsmouth, surprisingly enough, um, as seems to always happen in our history, had no money. Um, God knows how many times you can mismanage a club's finances like Portsmouth, but we managed to do it many, many times. Um, so we had a um, a man called Milan Mandrich who took over from the club in 1999. Yeah. Um, he bought the club for very little. Um, we we're in huge amounts of debt um, with the promise to essentially bring us to the top flight of English football. Uh, Portsmouth had bounced between the old first division and second division um, for quite a few years. Um, we've made one season in the old first division, which was known as the Premier League in the 87-88 um, season. But apart from that, we'd mainly been a championship club and before then down to League 1 and League 2. Um, so, Mandwich invested heavily in the club. Um, one of the big turning points for us was in 2001, around about the summer of that season, uh, Harry Redknapp, who you mentioned, Connor, uh, took over from um, Graham Ricks, uh, ex-Arsenal assistant manager back in the 90s as well, Graham Ricks was. And essentially what he did is he put Redknapp in charge and wanted him to get Portsmouth to the Premier League. That was his main goal. 
uh, Mandrich wasn't really known as the most um, patient of men uh, and didn't necessarily like to give managers much time. If you look at some of these stats around uh, managers, he had Tony Pulis in the early 2000s before Redknapp came in managing for about six months. Uh, Graham Ricks only got about a year in the job. So you pretty much didn't have that much time in the job when you took over. So that was sort of the way that Portsmouth was run. A bit like maybe how Chelsea's run now. If you <laughs> yeah. don't get immediate success, you're gone. Yeah, yeah. instant success <clears throat> yeah. or you just can't be in there. Bramovich won't have you. It was just a championship yeah. version, was it? It's essentially, <laughs> it was. It was a championship mm. version of that. That A man came in, spent a lot of money. Mm. Uh, I mean, if we look at some of the signings that Pompey made, so in 2001-2002, a player you mentioned, Peter Crouch, um, was signed actually by Portsmouth in that time. So he was signed by Portsmouth in 2001. Um, this is actually before Havant was made manager in 2002. He was director of football at Portsmouth in 2001. Okay. Uh, the wheeler dealer man being he is, um, so he'd recently been sacked or left West Ham, joined Portsmouth director of football. And his, in his contract, he was given, I think it was between, things was a 10% commission on player sales. So the sort of wheeler de- dealer that Harry was managed to get a commission on player sales as being director of football. So <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. The funny story about that before we go through. Um, it turns out later on in the mid-2000s, Mandrich and Harry Redknapp both got um, arrested and were charged of pretty much, you know, diddling the books <laughs> of Pompey and committing a few various Ooh. financial crimes. That, which Redknapp managed to get out of by basically pleading that he was too incompetent to do anything about it. And surprisingly <laughs> enough, he got away with it. Oh my God. I'm not sure. Like, I'm too stupid. Yeah. I'm fairly certain. I'll double check you. I'm fairly certain that Redknapp's response is pretty much, I'm it's- too thick. Is that an actual thing you can do in court? Can you plead stupidity? (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. So the the, the exact quote is here. Um, It says that, um, yeah, so they're both in front of contention between Redup and Mandrich. Ball uses uses evidence in Harry's favour in the now infamous Rosie 47 court case, which Mandrich and Redknapp were accused of financial crimes. Harry wouldn't be convicted based on his defence that he just wasn't clever enough to to pull it off. Mm, oh wow! The so <laughs> thing is, he is quite a clever bloke, though. So <clears throat> yeah, even though he doesn't, mm. so he might not appear that way. But, I, but yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how um, accurate this is. But uh, tell me if I'm wrong. But I swear, yeah. at, at, um, at Portsmouth, Redknapp signed. Um, he, he called him the Yak. Was it Yakubu? Was that his name? Did he we will get to the point? big Yak. We will get. To yeah, the are, you gonna, are we going? Are we going to get to him? Yeah, because I know there's a the funny yak. story about that. Um, so which, you probably, which you probably got but yeah there you go so if we're going from 2001 like we we're going through so 2001 um, this is when Mandrich started getting a bit impatient so Graham Ricks got sacked Redknapp came in Portsmouth finished 17th isn't great in the championship um, pretty much the only reason they finished in that position was due to Crouch scoring 18 goals in the league and they had a player who you, get, you guys might not actually know but um, it's a player called Robert Prozanecki um I think he's a Croatian footballer. Yeah, Croatian footballer. Played for Barcelona, Real Madrid back in the 80s and 90s. Was an amazing, amazing player. Coming towards the end of his career. Well known by the Pompey faithful um, of loving a fag and a drink before a game. So you'd always, you'd always see him <laughs> with a glass of whiskey oh. and a cigarette in his mouth. Classic 80s game. player then. Exactly. An 80s player playing in the early 2000s. Um, and he was one of those players where pretty much the, the ports of tactic of those days was Pozneki was so good on the ball. It was... Pusnecki would run through the team. He'd wait that someone tripped him up. We'd get, he'd get a free kick. He'd then take that free kick and then Crouch would inevitably score. And that was Pompey's tactic, which pretty much got them out of the um, the relegation scrap that they were in. And they managed to finish 17th, which wasn't the worst result, but also isn't the best result either. Just to clarify, those that don't follow football too much, 
the championship is out of 24 teams, so 17 isn't too bad. Like it's near the relegation zone, but it's not quite there yet. <laughs> it's not like the Premier yeah. League with 20 teams. But yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's sort of the way it works. 2001-2002 wasn't the the greatest season, but Red Napper took on over, and this is when things started to sort of pick up Portsmouth. So in the 2002-2003 season, Pompey then finishing 17th season beforehand won the old first division, which is now the championship. So they won it with 98 points, which if you look at the actual historical like, points total, is a really good total to win a championship with. Only a few teams have ever broken 100 in there, so 98 was very good. Um, the top scorer that season was actually a player called Svetslav Todorov, who is another Pompey legend at the club. Bulgarian footballer, had his problems of injuries, but was a really, really solid striker when he played. Uh, alongside that team was also players you may, may know of, may not, uh, Shaka Hislop, ever heard of him? Nope. No, no I can't, can't <laughs> no. say I have. <laughs> yeah, um, he, he, he's a well-known goalkeeper, played for Newcastle in the mid-90s, uh, played for West Ham, played for Portsmouth. Uh, Matthew Taylor, you might have heard of him. He's, he, yeah. he's got quite a few goals in yeah. the old Premier League best mm. goals. Um, he that was in the team. Mm. Alongside, it might just ring a bell over Martin yeah. Taylor, though. Well... <laughs> Yeah, he, he was a bit nicer than Martin Taylor. I think Matty Taylor was. And then um, ex-Arsenal legends, uh, Paul Merson. Ooh, one right. of the men to pretty mm. much bring Pompey from the um, old first division to the championship. Sorry, to the Premier League, sorry. Um, also, this is sort of where the um, Pompey legend Limboy Primus, who, again, you guys may or may not have heard of, um, sort of started becoming a sort of Pompey um, regular at that time. Now, um, Redknapp was sort of ahead of his time with tactics uh, to, to an extent by this point due to you know the old 2000 sort of formation everyone thought the most English teams played of a 4-4-2? Redknapp didn't really subscribe to that. And actually in the championship, he pretty much played a 3-5-2 for most of that um, title, that title winning season. Which, you know, back in the um, mm. early 2000s, you wouldn't have seen the uh, 3-5-2, which has sort of become more commonplace nowadays. Yeah, that's fairly fascinating, that, isn't it? To mm. think that he was playing that back then. You really like that's That's like, that's like putting two at the back now. Or one at the back now, like yeah. that's so that's so sort of unorthodox to do that then. Like, and then there was the sort of the phase where everyone was doing that three five two. But yeah, that's mm. that's that's quite interesting. That to be fair, playing that then. It was yeah, one then. of those things that as soon as one team started doing it, the other team started doing it. Do you know? Because I know that obviously that happened when Conte came to Chelsea and he played it. Um, then yeah. all the other teams started to. Um, yeah. I remember yeah. Arsenal trying, and it didn't go down particularly well. <laughs> no. no. I don't think it was a sort of fluid three-five-two we're used to nowadays. I think it very much was a flat back five mm. with three oh, midfielders protecting that and two struggles mm. up top. But I, I don't think it was sort of like back three UT content playing with wing backs rushing forward. <laughs> yeah, right. And well, it was just red map saying, there. yeah, it was just yeah. red map saying like, oh, I have got three centre backs, so it's three back first. Uh, what yeah. are the wingers doing? No, no, they're not full backs. They're not full backs. No, they're yeah. they're yeah. wide mids, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it was that way. Yeah. Okay. But, um, so yeah, so that so we got promoted that season, and then the three to four season next season, two thousand three, two thousand four. This is when the man you mentioned, the big yak, came in for Pompey. Mm. So we managed to finish thirteenth that season, um, forty five points. Yakubu hit nineteen goals in all competition, which is a pretty decent tally. Uh, alongside Yakubu at top for Pompey at that time was also Teddy Sheringham. You guys definitely know him. One yeah, of the Premier League seriously. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know Teddy that. Teddy Sheringham was playing for us. I think at the time. He must have been in his mid thirties, almost. I think he's almost like 35, 36. Yeah, at that it was point. definitely the end of his career, wasn't it? Like, yeah. So he 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 dropped down from playing for Tottenham and then joined um, Portsmouth at that time. So 
I think he was. Yeah, he's almost about 37 when he joined Pompey. And he still managed to bag 10 goals that season, which is a pretty impressive tally mm. for the age he was. Um, so, yeah, it, it wasn't. It, it was a good first season for Pompey. Was, it didn't blow the world away, but, you know, they're pretty decent. One of the um, more important points that season, actually, was that um, this is the same season as the Arsenal Invincibles, Chuck. And there was this one contentious game in the uh, 2003-04 season where Pompey were 1-0 up against Arsenal. Um, and we could have ended the Invincibles, but due to a controversial penalty, which Arsenal scored to go and rescue a one all draw. When you say controversial, do you mean clear cut? When I say controversial, I mean it wasn't a penalty. Well, I mean, this is we're speaking of Portsmouth here, not Man United, but yeah, Portsmouth <laughs> almost stopped Arsenal's Invincibles team, but didn't quite do it. But there is a recurring theme you'll see over the next few seasons where Portsmouth. You know, especially against top teams, bringing them to Fratton Park really brought those teams down to 11 and made it really difficult for them. I mean, that was another draw for them, Invincibles, wasn't it? Another draw. Another draw. How many, another how many, draw. How many, how many draws they finished off of that? Oh, it was, it, was <laughs> enough, it was enough draws to win it, wasn't it? If yeah. I remember correctly. Just about. Absolutely uh, binned, off, binned off the Champions League, binned off everything else. Just draw, Prem draw. Oh, people have won the Champions League. <laughs> They've won the FA Cup. No one's ever won the Invincibles run. Yeah. We did uh, the impossible. We've, we're the only team to have ever done it. So far. I mean, teams have won with more points, though. But that's another discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, that, that's, a whole new, that's a whole new thing there. Yeah. Right. Is it, you continuing, Ethan? Yeah, yeah, I'm going on. There's way more to this than well. I'll, I'll try yeah. and rush through this a bit more. I'm sort of taking it at a slow pace, but this is when it starts getting interesting. So, 2004 out, uh, 2005 hits hits off. Started off really well. Ports have won four out of the first 10 games, including beating Manchester United 2-0. Another common theme, Portsmouth did love beating those top, top teams. Um, however, Harry Redknapp walked out of Portsmouth on the 24th of November, 2004, oh. due to disagreement with Milan Mandric at the time. I know, mm. shocking. Redknapp leaving Portsmouth. Um, the even more shocking fact is that he left Portsmouth to join Southampton, which oh. is the biggest no-no Ooh. you can do. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, I, Don't do I know that. The, That's I know like Solskjaer leaving United now and, and managing City or something, isn't it? Guardiola doing the opposite. Do, yeah. yeah. So basically, Redknapp got in a row over Mandrich because Mandrich put in a director of football, a guy called Velimir Zajic. Zajic? Sorry, I, I, I'm not fluent in Croatian, so my um, pronunciation <laughs> might lack a bit. But um, yeah, so essentially, they brought in the director of football. Harry went up being the wheelie dealer he was, really didn't like it. Threw his toys out the pram, left the club, and then uh, Zajic took over as manager. Zajic lasted for a few months. However, uh, Pompey were pretty much, you know, re- relegation zone pretty much, in, almost in the relegation zone at that point. And then Alan Perrin took over in April. Managed to save us from relegation. We ended up finishing 16th with 39 points, which isn't a great tally, but it was good enough. But the best thing about that season was Portsmouth beat Saints 4-1, high Redknapp Saints, and then Southampton <laughs> went down that season. Oh, so Redknapp jumped yeah. ship, went to Southampton, <clears throat> locked against Pompey, and then got relegated. And Portsmouth fans absolutely lapped it up. What a time to be a Portsmouth fan there, then. <laughs> it absolutely was. Um, again, the Biggie Kubo scoring 17 goals in all competitions. Pretty much was one of those players keeping us up that season. I I wasn't sure if you were going to touch touch on the the story, but um, I'll let you take on it. 
Yeah, well, I'll I'll try my best off the top of my head, but um, when so the season prior to that one, the one about when he scored seventeen, the the act, the, pr- the previous one when he scored nineteen, um, I think Harry Redknapp and the Yak had a bet. I think they had a bet that. Oh, I think I know the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, Yak said to Harry, "Is oh, boss, I'm going to score. I'm going to score twenty goals this season." He was like, "20." Harry was like, "20 goals? He ain't going to score that." And he was like, "Oh, mate, how about we have a bet then?" And he, he he bet him something stupid like ten grand or something that he would get <laughs> that he would score twenty that he'd score twenty goals or something like that. Um, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the final on the final game on the final game, I think he scored two. Yak did final day of the season. I think he scored two. And he comes off and Harry's like, oh, what a game you had, Yak. Yeah, whatever. And he's like, no, boss, I was one one goal away from, from scoring your 20. And he was like, he was like, yeah, well, well, if I'd have known that, I'd have blooming took you off at half time. I just sums up Redknapp, doesn't him. it? Yeah. yeah. It sums him up, doesn't it? Yeah, but yeah, pr- pretty funny, pretty funny story, that. That is pretty much a Kubu and Redknapp's relationship right there. I think that sort of relationship Redknapp would have with a lot of players is that sort of, mm. you know, he'd have, he'd have a lot of banter with them and he's he, he's a pretty good manager. But yeah, so going on from that season, the five to six season, this is a, this is this is when the problems really start at Pompey. You might not notice them, but under under the surface is when Pompey start getting in real trouble. So um, Alan Perran, who'd managed to save us the previous season from uh, relegation, he was sacked in November of that year, and Harry Redknapp came back in. Portsmouth fans were loving this as much as they hated Redknapp for leaving. Obviously, he'd got them to the Prem. He'd consolidated them in their first season and they really wanted, you know, someone who'd come back into the club and sort of stabilise them after the, um, yeah, after the near relegation of the previous season. However, Milan Mandrich had basically been mismanaging the club's finances for years. Ever since he came in in the 90s, he'd been mismanaging it. And Portsmouth were almost £60 million in debt by that point. They owed £60 million quid to various financiers um, and essentially Mandrich had to sell the club. Um, so Melan Mandrich sold the club to a very controversial figure by Portsmouth fans now, Alexander Gaidemek. You guys probably don't know anything about this man, um, but Portsmouth fans know a lot about him. So he bought the club, uh, he became a new guarantor for all the loans they had, and basically bankrolled a massive transfer window. So this is when, if you hear about like Harry Redknapp's wheeler dealing, this is sort of when it came in, this is when it started. He got bankrolled by Gaidemek, and then some of the new rival- the rivals are saying here. So Pedro Mendes was brought in, Benjani was brought in, uh, also players Sean Mendes, Noe Pamaro, uh, Wayne Routledge, Andres D'Alessandro. All these players are sort of brought in at this club. So in the winter transfer window, all these players are brought in. We were still pretty much relegation part of that season, though. Uh, on match day 33, we were 18th in the league. We just managed to survive by uh, being four points off relegation finishing 17th by winning six of our last 10 games. Oh, wow. um, uh, only lost two of them, um, mm. and it was a really, really good end to the season for us. However, you could tell that goals are the main issue, hence why I brought in the players in January, because I think Luwala and Matty Taylor and Gavio and Neil scored seven goals, each of them, which isn't really like a great tally, and that's a top goal no, scorer. Yeah. So then you're going on to the next season, so the 2006-2007 season. This is when the money was really starting to be spent now. And it wasn't necessarily the transfer fees, but it was these players they were bringing in on huge wages. So, in the 2006-07 season, the players that were brought in, Nico Crancher was brought in for about £4 million. David James brought in for one and a half. Jimmy Traore was brought in. Andy Cole was brought in. Ex-Arsenal player mm. Loren was brought in. Going through Nwankwe Kano, Sol Campbell, Glenn Johnson. 
these are the sort of players you start to sort of remember when you think of the Pompey side of the mid-2000s. Yeah, like I said, James, it's Campbell, Johnson. And these players have been brought in on quite high salaries. I think David James's salary was almost 50 grand a week, a week which for a, a club of Portsmouth size, especially yeah. back then, a club of Portsmouth was a lot of money. Um, however, the results were good for Portsmouth. That season, they finished ninth on 54 points. We were two points off European football that season. Uh, in the season, they'd beaten Liverpool, Man United, uh, drew to Arsenal at home. However, this is when the sort of those wage, those wages that Pompey was sort of starting to accumulate sort of came in. So that was that season. It was a decent season from Pompey standards, but you know, the problems were starting to amount now. You could start, start to see what was going wrong. The following season was even better for Portsmouth on the pitch. Um, they finished eighth. This is, this is the season when they won the FA Cup. They got all the way to Wembley, beating United on the way with a Mintari penalty. I'll never remember that. I'll never forget that, watching that game, thinking, you know, United can beat Pompey here and Silly Mintari scores a penalty against us. You know, it's not, it's not always us United fans winning the penalties. We all celebrate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we, we we had a very, very good season that season. However, the issue being here is um I'll go through the signings in a minute, but the 2008 season ended and the financial crisis hit. Now the financial crash impacted a lot of clubs, but the main person it impacted was Alexander Gaidemek. The owner of the club, Pacey had, had his entire stock market just crashed lost a lot of money and had no funding. So he said he was forced to remove all his funding, had to pay back creditors. The club were punished twice over having some of the most valuable assets and their highest earners. The club now being £68 million in debt. Ooh. So it was £60 million on Mandarich. This guy had taken over now £68 million in debt and he had no way to basically go and pay his loans. He had no money, so he was forced to sell. And he then brokered the deal to go and sell the club to a guy called Suleiman Al-Fahim who was the spokesperson, I'm doing this in inverted commas, spokesperson for Sheikh Mansour, who owns Man City. Essentially, this, they, they brokered a deal for £70 million to buy the club, of which Guy Demek would only receive £2 million of this debt, sorry, £2 million, and he'd settle all the debt in the club. He agreed this deal. It somehow passed a fit and proper owner's test by the Premier League, which we all know is a complete farce anyway, because none of them <laughs> are actually getting anyone decent in. And it became... Uh, and in, in July 2008, the deal was signed. However, it started to become a bit dodgy because no one could f- get the first payment from him. He made the first payment of £5 million um, early in the year and uh, became the official owner of Portsmouth in 2009. Now, in the summer of 2007 and 2008, I'll start to tell you the sort of players he brought into the club. So amongst the financial crisis, we brought in Suleiman Tari for almost £10 million, John Utaka. Jermaine Defoe, David Nugent, Lasana Diara, Papa Bibi Diop, Sylvain Distan, Herman Horadison, all of these players you may know of, or mm. may have heard of before, mm. we were buying these players, not necessarily on huge transfer fees, but it was the wages we were starting to add up at this point. So that was 2007. In 2008, Peter Crouch came in, Hayden Mullins came in, Eunice Kabul came in. All these are well-known established Premier League players now. We were bringing these players in during the financial crisis. Something was wrong here. Essentially, what went wrong is that this guy, um, Suleiman Al-Fahim, who said he was, you know, one of these Saudi billionaires, essentially had bought Pompey um, with no money and the £5 million payment he stole from his wife. Oh, so he stole God. £5 million from his wife, yeah. <laughs> put the first down payment on Pompey with the money. Pompey was £60 million in debt still. Obviously, Guy Demek, um, who, you know, sold the club to go and pay off the debt, only got £5 million quid from it. 
and essentially, you know, his his debt was not been settled, um, and the club was pretty much starting to go down the pan at this point. Um, in March two thousand nine, Redknapp left Pompey, and this is when they started a quick fire sell players. If you look from the seven to eight season, they made a thirty one million pound loss on transfers, and then the eight to nine season when the club started to go down the pan, they then made a £23 million profit because the players they had to sell. So in 2008-2009, Lasana Diara was sold to Real Madrid, Jermaine Defoe was sold back to Spurs, Salim Mattari was sold to Inter Milan, and so on and so forth. They were quick-firing set, like quick-fire selling players because they had no money, essentially. The money had dried up, they'd had multiple, multiple poor owners, and even though they were having good league finishes, like in the 7-8 season, obviously we said they won the FA Cup, They'd finished with 57 points. The following season, their points title wasn't as good as 41 points. Quite obviously shown by the fact they had no money and they couldn't pay their players. But um, there's one game in the 2008-9 season I want to bring to your attention, which was the... Um, obviously, Pompey being winners of the FA Cup played in Europe that season, the season after that, sorry, in 2008-9 season. And there's one very famous game that came in uh, early 2008, and, sorry, on uh, the early in 2008-9 season, which was against AC Milan. So, imagine this. League Minnows Portsmouth at Fratton Park in Pompey, 19,000-seat stadium, pretty much built in, the, in you know, the early 1900s, not updated since then, played AC Milan, the team that had won the Champions League two seasons yeah. beforehand who are now playing in the UEFA Cup. And if you look at the teams that were, like, that were um, played that day, Portsmouth's team of David James, Glenn Johnson, Eunice Kabul, Sylvan Distan, Nadia Belhaj, Glenn Little, Papa Diop, Richard Hughes, Amad Traore, Peter Crouch, and the Wankwo Kano. That was Pompey's team against the AC go. Milan team. There's <laughs> yeah. like seven Legend. really yeah. good players there. <laughs> yeah. So in Here that Pompey go. team, there were some good players in that team, but this is when you get to the AC Milan team of Dida, Gianluca Zambrotta. I mean, Philip Sendros is in there. We're less about him, the better. I think Chuck's well aware of Philip Sendros. Uh, Giuseppe Favalli, Gennaro Gattuso, Emerson, Matthew Flamini. Oh. Uh, Kaka, Filippo oh. Andagi, Andrei Shevchenko, and even Clarence Seydorf, Alexandra Pato, and Ronaldinho made appearances that night. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So imagine oh, Ronaldinho, the, the international superstar of Ronaldinho, laying foot on Fratton Park in a 20,000-seater stadium on a Thursday night UEFA Cup game. <laughs> Going up against Eunice Kabul. Exactly. <laughs> was this the game where Ronaldinho was so good that the did the Pompey fans clap him? Is that that the game or I think a completely different one? I think you might think of a different game, but in fairness, the Pompey fans are probably more just happy to have Ronaldinho in their stadium, to be fair. Mm, just and the game actually finished. That isn't Peter Crouch. Yeah. <laughs> but the game finished to all. The game finished to mm. all. Imagine that. Pompey drawing against AC Milan. And I can imagine that players such as Kakar and Shevchenko probably got their legs taken away from them multiple times <laughs> that game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can bet. So yeah, that was essentially the, that. That was the pinnacle of Pompey winning the FA Cup, being in the Europa, UEFA, UEFA Cup, sorry, and playing AC Milan. And ever since then, it pretty much went downhill. Obviously, like I mentioned, the guy who bought the club was found um, was arrested for stealing money from his wife. He had no money. He was sent to prison. They then he then sold the club to a guy called um, Falcon Drone. Wait, he was, was sold, he was sold the club from prison. That's quite impressive. Well, I think I think it was one of those <laughs> things where 
someone sold the club on behalf of him because he was in oh, prison. Okay. So, he so we've in... now had five handovers in five seasons, and there's way there's many many more to come. Don't you worry. So <laughs> it's, it's gone it's gone from Mandrich to Galdemic to Al Sumain, and now it's going to um, a company called Falcon Drone, who essentially had no interest in running a football club, but what they were interested was was the grounds and land outside Portsmouth. So outside Fratton Park, there was a lot of land which they wanted. So we bought the club. Um, and essentially, um, he stuck a deal with um, these guys that purchased a club and the land surrounding it. Galdemek, the old idea of Pompey, got £1 for it after settling all debts. <laughs> so this is what we're thinking of. So Portsmouth have a stable owner now. They have a well-financed club. They've got an owner in there now. The bad owners have gone away. All is rosy now. They're playing in the UEFA Cup. What can go wrong? Um, turns out a lot can go wrong. Um, the wealth was far less um, than what they thought. Um, the guy who had no interest in actually the, the land anyway and got bored of the club sold it to a guy called Al Farage. Is that his name? Al, yeah, Al Farage, who was another owner who took over the club. Um, and then essentially, Al Farage's wealth was much, much less than what he thought. So it's gone from this is where it gets confusing now because there's about a billion different owners. You, you can tell where Portsmouth fans were up in arms about this. They're so probably as from, confused as we are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mandrich um, to Galdemek to Al Sumayin to Falcon Drone, then sold to Al Farage, a guy called Ali Al Farage as well. And then what happened is that Ali Al Farage's wealth was not what he was claimed. Basically, he bought the club on a financed loan from a guy called Balram Chanrai's uh, company. Al Farage couldn't keep up payments. Then Balram Chanrai took over. Another owner in this sense. The problem was here is that pretty much everyone who'd owned Pompey had defaulted on every single loan. And this guy, Balram Chanwai, who was left with the, pretty much the pile of shit that was Pompey by this point, because there was so much debt and so little money in the club. Um, essentially, he had to refinance the club and go into administration. Um, can anyone guess or ha- have an idea of how much debt ports are in by this point? 75 million. <clears throat> no. Higher. 115. Higher. 150. Not quite. £135 million worth of debt. Yeah, go on. Yeah. I was going to say, so that's basically, that's that's over double of what it was. Um, You said it was 68 at one point, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's accumulated over double in, in, in how many seasons was it? About four. Yeah, about four, and it's accumulated <laughs> about ten owners. Yeah, so at this point, one hundred thirty-five million pound in debt. We still get to the twenty ten FA Cup final, lose against Chelsea. Unfortunately, they beat us one 0 But we managed to get the FA Cup get final. <laughs> um, but on the same season, they're relegated to the Championship. The reason they're relegated to the Championship is because they finished twentieth for one, but we also docked nine points. So we're docked nine points in that season. So we've been relegated. We're also. Um, prohibited from taking part in the champion sorry the Europa League the next season because of uh, defaulting on our loans so we just about survived in the championship finished 17th um, and the squad took a massive overhaul by that point so you guys are aware of the squad that I was telling you about beforehand with you know your Crouch and your Defoe and Eunice Kabul yeah they're all gone the, mate <laughs> the sort of players we had now was Aaron Mokawena Liam Lawrence Danny Webber David Nugent and Michael Brown so essentially anyone you could pull together just went on the street corner. Would you like to play for Portsmouth? Any, <laughs> anyone who played yeah. for us. Mm. 
who was who was that team? Um, in, uh, I can't remember. It's, it's it's fairly recent. It's been fairly recent. Um, ah, mm-hmm. oh, it's gonna kill me because I can't remember the name. But they basically had the youngest ever squad, like ever, because they've literally just had to string in players from anywhere to get an eleven. It's recent. It's like in the is last it, like, five is years. It? Is it Liverpool? Is it Liverpool? Because no. of their defensive <laughs> issues. <laughs> um, no, Bolton, 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 Bolton. Yeah, yeah. This story yeah. is very similar to Bolton. So yeah, we're, go- yeah. we're going through here. So as we're, as we're talking, we saw all of our players had no squad. Chanwai, the guy who's been left with all this debt, has got put the club into administration, and then he sold it again. He's now sold it to a guy called Vladimir Antonov. Vladimir Antonov was a Russian millionaire who has made his money same as Abramovich in the late 90s by pretty much taking advantage of the fall of the Soviet Union. Portsmouth fans were like finally we've now got our owner we've had two fake <laughs> shakes a dodgy banker a debt collector and now we've got this guy who's you know like Abramovich. Um, turns out that Antonov was quite a shady bloke um, and within I think three months of owning the club um, a European arrest warrant was uh, issued for him because he was asset stripping <laughs> banks oh and his entire company got into administration and he was in um, in prison. Oh, another so, one in prison. Another yeah. one in prison now. <laughs> what do you do? You think you could bring the Russian mafia to, to the UK or something? <laughs> Apparently. I don't know what you're planning on doing. Um, I'm starting to see that. If you own Portsmouth Football Club, you go to jail. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> that's the way it works. So we'd, we'd had another owner go down. We'd had a one, 1. 1.6 million pound tax bill from HMRC come knocking. The club went yet again into administration. We then got relegated from the championship. We were owing an excess of £160 million by this point to both creditors, players, staff and trades. £160 million pounds worth of debt. The 2011-12 season ended in relegation to League One and another 10-point penalty for entering administration. We appealed it and it was delayed until December 2012. However... By that point, our club had pretty much had nothing left at that point. <laughs> Got nothing left! That, yeah. It was. The team that had once, you know, been winning the FA Cup, four years later, the entirety of the squad was released. So this is, this is what's happened here. So essentially what happened is that upon relegation to League One, the entire playing staff left the club because they had not been paid for close to six months. And with no players, no staff and no money, the Pompey Supporters Trust bought the club ahead of the following season. Now, the next season, Portsmouth were in League One. They finished rock bottom with another, as you can tell, administration penalty of 10 points. And the entire team was pretty much built out of youth players and non-league players. And we were then in League Two. And we started the, I'm fairly certain it was the 2012-13, sorry, the 2013-14 season in League Two, finishing 13th. Short story from then, the supporters trust are bought out by uh, the Eisner family, Houston run Disney, and in the 2016-17 season, we won League Two, and ever since then, we've been in League One. Um, and we're pretty much a playoff League One team now. But just to summarise this story, it's essentially gone from Portsmouth, you know, coming up through the Championship into the Premier League, winning the FA Cup, reaching the dizzy heights of the UEFA Cup, and then through bad owner after bad owner after bad owner, essentially just sliding all the way down to League Two and being bought out by the Supporters Trust. And we're just about getting back to League One now. Oh, sorry, to, to the Championship almost area. Oh, so that is the story yeah. of Portsmouth. 
if you didn't if you didn't know the whole behind the scenes what was happening with the owners and literally just all the money the debt and everything and you just generally thought oh like oh they're they're just getting worse every year but the actual it was it was generally worse than that it was generally worse mm. like than than just playing bad there was generally no club structure no literally no nothing and it, honestly oh. that's that's su- it's such a like I, I say amazing obviously it's not good but like a sort of one off like story that like well no other club yeah. has been yeah. through that type of turmoil yeah or from well, yeah. Great, from started from like you say rags to go to riches and the, the, the success of the FA Cup to then back down again to literally yeah. almost breaking point of not existing as a club altogether um, the amount of times you go into administration because that's effectively what it is um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it very much was a case if the supporters trust didn't take it over they'd have been gone as a club. And yeah. the club didn't exist since the late 1800s to pretty much go out of existence could have been a possibility. And, it, and as we know nowadays with teams um, such as Bury went out of business as well. Like mm. it, It's more common nowadays than it was, but at the time, four years from winning an FA Cup, your club's almost out of existence. It was a really sorry story. But Portsmouth now, luckily, are settled. They've got a good owner. They've got a good team. And we're actually, you know, we're probably not at a stage we would have ideally been looking at the club 10, 15, or maybe like 15, 20 years ago. But, you know, we're at least stable now, which is good. Mm. Okay. Is All that right. it then? <laughs> that's, it. that's it from me. Okay, that's... brilliant. Have you got that... something to add quick? We've got. No, no yeah, I was, I was just about to say brilliant, and we'll see you after this ad break. Yeah, cool. Cool. Hello guys, Connor here from the Bundle YouTube channel. We are not only a podcast, but a source of your entertainment too. Here's a quick insight of when one of our members thought that the moon was actually bigger than the earth. Roxby being like, yeah, it's mad. Like that is, That's bigger than the earth, isn't it? Oh, me, me and George just... Oh, <laughs> oh, no. That time when we remember Gordon Ramsay screaming and made one of his chefs into an actual idiot sandwich. Idiots. An idiot sandwich. <laughs> 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 the violation on that. <laughs> and lastly, when in school, we go back and touch on the most memorable moments. I need to get to my lesson, whatever. You're on the wrong side, doesn't oh, matter. No. And he goes, you, you yeah, get there and you go, oh no, you got to go all the way <laughs> round. Turn you around, turn around. You can find us all on The Bundle on YouTube or find us on Instagram, which is at the underscore bundle underscore, Twitter at the bundle underscore underscore, Facebook, which is The Bundle Podcast, and finally TikTok at The Bundle underscore. And welcome back after that great point that not only confused Pompey fans at the time, but has ended up confusing Ethan himself. Let's move straight <laughs> on to our final point today with Matt and Connor talking about one of their favourite players, an Arsenal fan's nightmare. Take it away, guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the player is Didier Drogba, um, obviously a legend for Chelsea players and Chelsea fans alike. Uh, I'm not going to talk about his career too much. I'm going to leave that to Connor. So if you want to go ahead and talk about that now. Yep. Um, right. Well, like, like I said in the first the, the first part, um, pleasure being on. Uh don't know if first of many. Depends if you guys want me back on. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but yes, um, Didier Drogba. Um, if you don't know this guy, I've probably been living under a rock. Um, but after starting his Le, career, Le Mans FC in, in the French league, um, he scored He scored 14 goals in his uh, first 70 games. So, so not too bad. I mean, he's only just sort of getting himself off the ground. 
Um, then he was at, uh, I'll let Ethan pronounce it, Guan, Guan, Guan Gamp? Guingomp. Guingomp, there you yeah. go. <laughs> um, so off, so far off. <laughs> when it was at Guingomp, um, scored 23 times in 49 appearances, so nearly a goal um, every other game there. Um, again, still sort of getting himself off the ground. Then he then he moved to um, then he moved to Mar Marseille, um, where he's had his best best goal scoring record so far of his career. He scored thirty two goals in fifty five games that season, and um, Marseille played up against at the time Jose Mourinho's Porto. Um, obviously, before he before he came to before he came to Chelsea. Um, in that game, Jog was scored, I believe, um, and Mourinho pinpointed it as um, the goal he scored and the team, the Marseille team. They celebrated. They celebrated it like it was their last. It was literally Jogba's last goal because obviously he was having interest from sort of all around at that at that that sort of point. But Chelsea was the 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 team that people wanted to play for. Um, obviously, following on from. For Marseille, Mourinho did actually go to Chelsea, um, adding into the factor of they are the team people want to play for. Um, Roman of uh, Roman Abramovich came in, um, massive, massive power, Russian power, money, um, really getting the club going. Um, and it was actually, um, I think it was at full time during this Marseille Porto game. Um, I. Again, apologise, but I can't remember whether he'd already knew he was going to Chelsea at this point. But he said he said to Jogba how he he wanted him he wanted him at Chelsea um, before he'd actually accepted the job. Um, he said to him how he wanted him at Chelsea. Um, I think Jogba mentioned in his um, autobiography how Jose said he was he was passionate, he was quick, he was strong, he could finish. It was everything he wanted. In the night, like I, I say, upcoming striker, but sort of finding his um, major major success as a player. Um, Sounds like Mourinho had quite the uh, man crush on Drogba there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. It, it, the power, it, yeah. the presence, the finishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, calm down, but, <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, every, everything he wanted in, in a striker, and they had this. They had this discussion. Um, like I said after the game, and Drogba was saying to him like, "Oh, he'd he'd do anything." Like, so, so I guess, I guess it worked both ways. I guess yeah, it isn't really both helping ways. the case, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, he said how it'd it work. Oh, here we go. It'd work hard for Mourinho. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he'd he'd, he'd be he'd be a successful. Yeah. So, yeah. so following following on from. From that point, um, Mourinho gets the job, does get the Chelsea, does get the Chelsea job, and um, his. I think I can't remember if it was first signing or one of these first signings was mm. Didier Drogba, and he said to Abramovich as soon as he got there, he was like, "I want, I want this, I want Didier Drogba. He's the man I want. Um, he's he's going to be leading my line for for the team I'm going to try to create." Um, and that's that's kind of the story how Drogba ended up at Chelsea. I mean. Before actually accepting the offer, I think it was before, but like as he was literally like saying, "Yeah, I'm going to be the boss, whatever." But before confirming it, he called Jogba out to London again, and Jogba knew he was getting the, he was getting the, the deal done. 
um, to sign him, and he was so happy, like celebrating with Mourinho, saying, "Oh, like I love you pretty much." All this. Um, <laughs> it's a proper bromance. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, when when Chelsea sacked Mourinho um, the second time round on Jogba's, when Jogba came back, um, he, he cried. He, he cried that they'd sat him the second time because they knew that was that was going to be no, it. He wasn't the only one. I know that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Do you shed a um, few tears, Matt? Oh, and that wasn't what I meant. I meant the dre- the dressing room, the Chelsea dressing room. I, I mean, in when he when he got sacked the first time around, the Lampard, the Terry's, well, yeah. all the players at the club cried because that's how tight net um, the entire team was, and it was just like the board. Yeah. Against I can safely say that. I can safely say that when Mourinho left United, I don't think the United dressing room shed one tear for him. So. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so. On in in his in his actual full Chelsea career, he scored 164 goals in 381 appearances, and that was obviously over two spells. This his first time around, and then when he came back from, um, I want to say Gal- Galatasaray, he came back yeah, from. Am yeah. I right with that, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He came obviously came back at a second spell. Um, don't don't have them stats here, but that, that's the combined. Yeah, that's that's the combined. He was a secondary two. striker. So yeah, he's behind yeah. Diego Costa that season. Imagine having yeah. that as your strike partnership. You got Diego Costa, who's a bastard, and then you get like mm. I don't care if it was like a 36 year old like Didier, maybe like 33, but like a 33 year old Didier was still going to cause you enough issues, mm. wasn't it? Uh, no, I think well, he, he was 30, 36. Yeah, because 33 when he was, yeah. when he left in 2012. So he, he was quite like a late starter, wasn't he? Like I don't want to interrupt yeah. you too much, like Connor, but yeah. like yeah, like he didn't join Chelsea. He's like 26. Like his yeah. best ever season, he had he was almost 32 when he had his best ever season. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, compared to compared to even nowadays, like that's yeah, that's twenty twenty six, twenty seven. Like it's it's you, like you're not getting on, but you're past past your young your young blood sort of era. Yeah, you're reaching your prime. So yeah, yeah. Um, so then, obviously, following on from Drogba um, <laughs> winning winning the Champions League um, with Chelsea, which would be his final, which would be his final kick of a ball. Um, supposedly, yeah, supposedly, which they <laughs> which which they said. Um, mm. But yeah, goes on goes on to win the Champions League, um, and who he did carry us through that entire campaign as well. Yeah, oh, like for sure. Mm. Yeah, literally. Um, so yeah, um, as I then said, he did go to Galatasaray, came back to Chelsea, and then I think after that he went to Mon- Montreal. Was it Montreal in America? I think Montreal first impact. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he went to, and then after that was it Shanghai Shenua? I think it was. He, no, he went, um, he went to Shanghai after Chelsea's first spell. So he went to Shanghai, right. then Galatasaray, then Montreal, and then went to Phoenix yeah. Rising in the US Championship yeah. or their version of the Championship. Yeah, I mean, even in even in the US, Montreal um, had over double um, games a goal. He scored 23, 23 goals, forty-one games. Um, yeah. Overall, overall career stats though he he played six hundred and eighty six games with three hundred goals and one hundred and twenty five assists. It says here, and then for Ivory Coast as well, not forgetting, um, played one hundred and five matches for them throughout his career and scored sixty five goals as well. So a pretty good international record as well um, for him. Like goals, goals, goals to game ratio is is really good, and obviously specifically for Chelsea. Um, 164 goals in 381 games. Like there's, there's definitely better strike. There's definitely strikers with better ratios than that. But when you, when you, 
think about some of the goals he scored, like how <laughs> such a big game player he was. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, destroyer. Oh, he was an <laughs> yeah. absolute yeah. terror against Arsenal. So I've got his yeah. stats up here. In uh, During his stints at Chelsea, uh, in like English-run competitions, there was a total of 15 games played against the Arsenal. And he managed to score 12 times against us. Yeah. He got got some assists too. He got nine assists, not too many in 12 games. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Chelsea ended up winning 10 out of the 15 games they played against us. They drew four. They only lost one. I believe the one they lost, Drogba got injured in. Ah, so that would be one. I believe it was a 1-0 win to Arsenal where Drogba didn't score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. we needed that. Not, well, not only... only that, but during his time at Galatasaray, we played them in the 2013 Emirates Cup. He oh. scored twice against us. <laughs> yeah. He was a, the bane of the Arsenal fans. <laughs> this is the only cup you're winning, like during that period between like winning the league and like winning the FA Cup. We used to win the Emirates Cup every year, Chuck. Yeah, yeah, we did. We used and to. And then Drogba turned up. <laughs> yeah, Drogba turned yeah. up. <laughs> Pretty much out of retirement almost. Yeah. I'm guessing. The only downside I've got for Jogba really is that he did develop a bit of a reputation for being a diver, especially under Mourinho, which is probably the only thing that might take away from a bit. I, I I know it's a bit rich, me being a United fan, calling out someone for being yeah. a diver, but he did have that reputation, especially with the size and the power of him, that he did tend to go down maybe yeah. a bit easier than he should have done. I, I, I do remember I do remember that, because especially growing up, obviously, as a kid, Jogba being in the team since 2004, that I would have been five years old at the time, and you know, then from him leaving in 2012 to then come back um, in 2015, I would have been 16 as well. So throughout my entire youth, I've just only known pretty much Drogba to be our main striker. And mm. Um, mm. like you said, I, I remember having discussions at school, like heated discussions saying, oh yeah, the best teams in, in the Premier League, we were like six and seven at the time. Best teams in the Premier League are Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, you know, and yeah. Oh, best striker is Thierry Henry and Drogba and all that. And mm. I just remember them saying, well, no, but Drogba dives all the time. It's like, yeah, he kind of does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, as well, his obviously, we've, I've already covered his overall goals, but just to sort of pick it out a bit more, for Chelsea, he scored 36 goals in 74 Champions League appearances. Um, yeah, that's, with, that's with, pretty good. Yeah. And then all time, all time, he scored 44 and 92, but obviously scored most of them on the Chelsea shirt. But like, like, like we've, like we've said, um, loves, a, loves an FA Cup goal against mm-hmm. Spurs, loves goals against Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Like just this big, big top player who you can, you can rely on. Like, and people talk about Ronaldo being big game players, like, but Jog, Jogba is, is up there with these, with these big game players who mm-hmm. step up when, when you need them. Yeah. I mean, there, there's nothing else. You- if you look at a single player carrying a team, especially in that 2012 season, yeah. when Di Matteo come in um, after, I think it was Villas Boas, wasn't it, who left the team in yeah. a bit of a shambles in the league anyway, to then mm-hmm. go and yeah. take that same squad, what Di Matteo did, uh, pretty much said to Drogba, like, we're going to try and do go as far as we can in Champions League because that's the best bet we've got of getting a, another Champions League place. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But the way we did it, especially at Bayern Munich, um, at the Allianz Arena in their own backyard. Um, yeah. That is just, it's quite frankly disgusting when you think about it. Uh, a team that, I think we mentioned this last episode, a team that, for Bayern Munich's point of view, arguably their best team to ever face, uh, yeah. play in the Champions League. 
to then turn yeah, up probably in, in the shambles of a squad we had, like we said last time, with Ryan Bertram playing at left mid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then Drogba up top, pretty much carrying the team. It was Lampard and Czech that game, really, with David Luiz. No, and, no, no and Terry. Back. Yeah, no Terry. Turned yeah. up in his kit, though. But, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, yeah, and the way he did. So he scored one goal from that corner. I always remember that. One matter taking that corner. Um, yeah. Hit near post. Uh, uh, Manuel Neuer got touched to it, but he, he parried it into the roof of the net. Uh, and then obviously the last penalty, t- penalty kick for us. And I just remember just him running off, just tapping it over his side foot uh, into the goal and just running off and just, going absolutely berserk i mean it's probably the greatest moment in chelsea history so far yeah yeah um, for you sure you can't really you can't really write it either it's, it's, especially the fact that it was by munich and it was in in their home stadium it's you can't you can't write that sort of stuff yeah but, I, mean, I was i was watching it i was watching it with my mum my mum nan and my granddad i remember and um, my granddad said it said it about the the barcelona game prior to the final yeah the semi final mm-hmm. um when Messi, Messi missed a penalty. Um, they they were literally camping us in our own half, just passing mm. it, getting the shot away. Like, but he, I remember my granddad would sit there and they'd like obviously he's, he's not like no like football genius, like he knows a bit, but he's he's saying like um, oh, kind of I'm watching this now. It's not meant to be for Barcelona and Bayern. <laughs> and he mm. said it's honestly it's not it's it's just one of them one of them nights where it for some for some reason that ball would not go in the net. Mm. For these for these two teams, I mean, mm. even in even in the shootout, even in the shootout, I swear the the Bayern shootout, I swear we we missed a pen. Who is missed Matt? Did Matt miss it? Was Matt, it, was Matt was or it? Ashley Cole? Yeah, um, I think it was Matt. Yeah, Matt missed it, and I think he was like sec, second or third taker in. Mm, yeah, and, and check save and, two in a row and then missed one. Yeah, yeah, like that, yeah. So, so, yeah, so Robin, they what, it was a Robin that missed, wasn't it? He hit the post or something, I think it was. Schweinsteiger, wasn't it? Was it? Oh, no, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Was that big man Schweinsteiger hitting the yeah. post at a penalty? Yeah, he hit the post, yeah. yeah. That doesn't German, happen. Yeah, German's losing a penalty shootout. I'm, I reckon Some, it's rigged. Somebody spiced his water or his Gatorade <laughs> yeah. or something. That doesn't happen. No, check is that, that much of a good goalkeeper could save. Because he, well, he saved, he saved uh, the penalty earlier. Because Drogba, once Drogba scored yeah, that corner, yeah, he then gave yeah, away yeah, a penalty yeah. Yeah. <laughs> straight yeah, afterwards. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what I was saved that as well. Yeah. Imagine losing the penalty shootout in a Champions League final. Couldn't be me. Mm. <laughs> oh, don't even start. Yeah, but literally, that's 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 what I mean when I say things were meant to be that night. Like they mm. had a penalty in extra time, got saved, and then obviously get all the way to the shootout. And we really, really were at the dis- disadvantage when Matt, Matt missed a pen, and you're thinking, right here we go, like it's surely going to be over. Like, what's what what what? Yeah, like the inevitable was going to happen. Like eventually they were going to they were going to get it. Missed two, missed two in a row. Hit the post, check saves, it, and then suddenly we're sitting there with Jogba. I'm like, no, mm. we're, we're scored to how win. How does this happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're scored yeah. to win. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. What the hell? We got our main striker as the fifth penalty taker. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. Jogba with only one month left on his contract as well, whatever it was. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, not basically that was the last appearance, yeah. presumably for Chelsea that he was going to make. Um, it was. It's quite interesting the fact you're saying that because it it really proves um like how important Jogba was for you guys because like as much as I joked about the previous Champions League final, I don't want to hurt you guys too much by bringing it up, but. I was just looking at some of the stats about the previous Champions League final in 2008, which you guys unfortunately lost. Mm. But Drogba was sent off in that game. Um, he was well known for his clashes with Vidic and Vidic and Drogba being two of the 
probably some of the hardest mm. and strongest footballers in the Premier League. Well, they're definitely he was massive sent off. physical presences, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, so. he, he, he was sent off in the 117th minute of the Champions League final for slapping Manja Vidic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Only the second player actually was sent off in the European Cup final after Jens Lehmann uh, in 2006. Chuck, I'm sure Jens ruining the Champions League final for yeah. us. just as funny as it is for us. Can, can, can we not? But <laughs> the, the, the point I'm making here is that, again, you mentioned Jogba being the fifth penalty taker for you in the Champions League final against Bayern. He was due to be the fifth penalty taker against United, but due to being mm. sent off, he wasn't the penalty taker. Mm. Obviously, Captain JT stepped up and slipped on his merry way. Um, obviously, mm. it wasn't always J- JT's fault, obviously. It's, it, and I think Anelka got his penalty save result in, isn't it? Was it Anelka? Yeah, I think yeah, it was Anelka. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it really shows the importance of like Jogba Fury as a player, because arguably... If that had been dropped, then he hadn't been sent off. You could have arguably won the 2008 Champions League final as it well. Would, as would, would have been a different story, at least probably yeah. for one yeah. penalty, at least, wouldn't it? I'm, so. Exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this I'm gonna make this sort of comparison, but obviously, like I don't know how big of a psychological effect this has, but I know when teams miss a player like Jogberth or something, mm. like it can shake through the oh, team. It's huge. And then, yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously, obviously, I can't delve into the brains of some of the players and see how much mm. it affects them personally. But I'm going to compare it in the World Cup when Brazil lost to Germany um, 7 0, because they didn't have Neymar in that game, did they? Um, no. so... I don't think. Was it Neymar? Was it Thiago Silva that they missed the most? Um, yeah, they were missing Thiago Silva and Neymar, I'm pretty sure. Well, there you go then, two yeah, absolute yeah. stalwarts of players, mm. yeah. Mm. It just, it, well, yeah, this, yeah, I only thought one missed out, but there you go. Mm. I mean, two for two for Brazil and you see what happens. Like, mm. And also, I you mean, David, David Luiz in the back, so you know. Yeah, yeah. It always yeah. goes wrong with David Luiz in the back. Mm. Yeah. As, as, I'm sure, as I'm sure you've learned now, Chuck, as oh, I'm sure you've learned. He's, <laughs> He's guided us to an FA Cup victory against his former club Chelsea, and I still dislike him as a football player. <laughs> oh okay. yeah, oh yeah. What, what about Willian as well? Do you, do you want another video? Well? I am, yeah, another podcast. Just on that Brazil team. I'm just looking at it now. I know it's off, off topic, but oh my god, that team that played in that final was absolutely terrible. The one that they lost seven-one. Like no, no Neymar, no Thiago mm. Silva. It was like Fred was up top. You had Bernard. Oscar. It's not Oscar, Manchester United Oscar's Fred, right. by the way. That's a different, different. No, this is yeah. this, this, this is yeah. the Leon Fred. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. David Luiz and Dante at the back. You had some guy, like Mike on, and I'm fairly certain it might be the Mike on that we want to know, but it may not have been. And then mm. Julio Cesar's in goals are white, but yeah, this, mm. it was not a classic Brazil team, let's just say. Mm. Yeah. And obviously, Germany yeah. had like Erzil, Closer, Muller in the. When Kadira scores against you, you know you've done something wrong in the tackle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he's gone that far yeah. off the pitch. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's, a- he's actually full-on ran that mm. far to score and he's mm. done. And also his knee yeah. hasn't snapped halfway through running because Kadira is one of the most injury-prone players ever. But... <laughs> yeah. We're digressing now. Let's get back, back, yeah. back to Didier yeah. Drogba. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, like yeah, to get yeah. back to Drogba, um, but yeah, not so I much his present on the pitch if Connor is finished. Yeah, no, I was going to say I'm all done, Matt. If, if you yeah. let me, if you let me talk, Matt, like, yeah, I am, I am no, the yeah. guest on, I am the right, guest. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin right. De Bruyne, um, let me talk. <laughs> yeah, but, anyway. but I'm, I'm, I'm all done. So, Matt, yeah, take it away. Perfect. Mate. So, DJ Drogba, obviously, we know his presence on the pitch was ridiculous. Now, his presence for his country was equally as important. You could argue, um, he actually saved lives, and I'm not sure too many people would know that, but. In about the time he came to Chelsea, so in November of 2004, um, civil war in Ivory Coast was basically on the brink 
of well getting worse uh, it had been around since 2002 and anyway in 2004 uh, Ivorian air forces hit a French peacekeeping base at the north of the country and they killed nine soldiers of uh, well nine French soldiers and basically the entire civil war was about their state military under the command of a certain president called Laurent Gbagbo I think I'm saying that right um, and then the rebels uh, local to new forces uh but anyway, long story short, Didier Drogba came in because he was the massive superstar in Ivory Coast, even though he'd like the Ivory Coast people, they knew him. They followed him through France, his success in France. Like we already mentioned, he played at Marseille, which is one of the biggest clubs uh, in France at the time. Uh, obviously, now it's more PSG, but Marseille had a history of being a big club as well, winning Ligue 1. And then Marseille fans hear you say that, they don't, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but... Uh, it's a good thing we don't do this in French. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, anyway, <laughs> yeah, so so he was a massive, he already had a massive presence. Then, obviously, coming to the English Premiership, uh, and I'm, I'm reading this in quoted uh, parts, saying, in playing in pristine white stadium, so obviously that means that... Um, Dido Drogba was playing in a predominantly white country, um, basically tearing up the league, and they were very happy with that. Um, so obviously, he, he, Dido Drogba used his power. He was captain of the national team at the time as well, of Ivory Coast. Um, most notable players uh, that some of you might know were Didier Zakora, um, which is Ivory Coast's most capped player to date. And he played for San... Uh, yes, he did, and St. Etienne at the time. Um Bonaventure Kalou, who played for PSG, Arona mm-hmm. Kune, who played for PSV at the time, and Yaya Toure, probably the biggest one, mm. who played for Olympiacos at the time. Uh, anyway, so he bought his team and obviously those players and some more. Uh, oh, we, are we forgetting Jervinho? Uh, Jervinho, uh, 2004, I think he might have been. He might have been on the bench or so. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but anyway, so he bought all Let these players together. Out. <laughs> he, he, he bought all these players together and basically said, look, we need to sort this out. We're, we're pretty much kings of this country. Um, we, we need to just sort it out. Obviously, social media wasn't quite massive back then, um, but he ended up, because of this pull, it just gives you an idea of how much of a celebrity of a, or almost a king he was. He was able to set up with a meeting with the governments uh, that was in power and um, the rebels, the head of like the rebels and stuff, and basically brokered peace. This sounds like the the script of some sort of you know Hollywood movie, doesn't it? Yeah, like it almost famous is. footballer brings a country back together. Yeah, yeah. So here we go. It was so Dropper being the nation's captain, using his teammates' influence, took a meeting, uh, and basically it was in 2006, and it was during the Africa Cup of Nations, which took place in Egypt, I think it was, um, where this meeting was, because um, it had to be on neutral ground in quotes. Um, Anyway, the warring factions basically had a truce during that time. And the main reason was uh, their, was it slogan? Not quite slogan. Slogan's the wrong word. But the saying that they said was basically that um, uh, the noises that ought to be heard during these times could not be mothers wailing over their dead sons, which is actually quite harrowing when when you think about that. Like people going to stadiums during the Africa Cup of Nations when thinking like, why is this going on when we've got a war to fight? Um, So Didier Drogba and his team were able to stop that for, for, for a while, um, which is just absolutely insane when you think about it. Like you say, like it's almost Hollywood type stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, 
I can imagine their differences being being sorted out in that Hollywood film by them playing football, you know, the, the government versus the rebels. <laughs> with Didier yeah. Drogba as the referee. Are you basically quoting Escape to Victory, Chuck? Are you are saying that we're making Escape to Victory with Didier Drogba? This is what we're doing now. I mean, could we? We could. I mean, Pele was in it. I'm, I'm sure Pele counted his goals in Escape to Victory as career goals as well. So, Yeah. yeah. But anyway, just to end up this... Uh, just to finish this off, basically that war ended in 2011 because once the Africa, Africa Cup of Nations uh, finished, then the war continued. Um, but Drogba couldn't really do too much because it was only a truce that was happened, but he did enough really as far as he was concerned at that point in time. Obviously, he wanted complete stop on the war, but he, d- he did enough for that point. And, uh, but anyway, the war ended in 2011, on the April 11th, um, when France's forces arrested Gabagbo at his house and they literally just not turned up at his door knocked, knocked on his door and said right come with us <laughs> um <laughs> and and that was that but but yeah so to, to uh finish this point long story short he stopped a war from happening or, or for a certain period of time so sports and peace could happen um and it's it's just like you say hollywood story really yeah well, thought i'm glad I mean, we managed to yeah. get through that entire thing with no accents yeah, no bad accents yeah. went on in the making of this mm. podcast. We, yeah. we navigated it well enough to not get our podcast cancelled on episode two. So well done, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's go into another break. Do you love listening to podcasts but hate adverts interrupting what you're listening to? Then why not consider subscribing to our Patreon at the 3 0 Podcast for an ad free version of the pod in addition to early access to the episodes? For just £3 a month, you can get all that plus more. Please consider subscribing to the 3 0 podcast on Patreon. All right, guys, welcome to this week's version of Matt versus Chuck. Um, for you guys who tuned in last week, you know the rules, obviously, but for those who don't, essentially, the way that this works is that I will ask Matt or Chuck, um, and I'll give them one player, and I'll ask them to name how many of the clubs this player has played for. And if the most number of clubs that they can give me, they win the answer. Essentially, if I give them a player and they name three clubs and Chuck said he can name four clubs, if Chuck names four, he wins a point. If he can't name four, he loses the point. It's easy to understand when we get into the game. After a few players, I think everyone should get this. But the special guest this week being Connor, we're going to add a rule into this episode where Matt or Chuck can ask for a phone a friend for one club on one player. So if they're stuck... And they need to have one club to add on. They can ask Connor to be their phone a friend. Does that somewhat make sense, guys? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, cool. sounds cool. good. Yeah, it's it's sounds good. Minute, guys. <laughs> Woo! There we go. There we go. So last week was quite an easy start. It's not going to be as easy this week. Great. I've gone through my magical random football generator and got some players out of here. So, as Matt was the winner last week, Chuck gets to go first this week to give him a bit more of a fighting chance. So, it's almost like home advantage, but it's not because we're all on Doom. But <laughs> there is not that, yeah, there, there's no one watching us, so there is no home advantage. So, Mr. Leggett, the first player that I'm going to name has played for three clubs, and that player is Tongi Ndombele. Or Ndombele, Ndombele, Ndombele. That's the one. Ooh, so, how many okay. players? Sorry, how many, I keep saying players. I keep doing this. How many clubs has Nombele played for? How many, how many of them can you name? 
three clubs, how many of them can you name? I can name one for sure. And there's no Googling. Just... So if Connor's Googling something, I'm going to kill him. I'm not Googling that. Uh, I've, I've got everyone. We're on a Zoom video. Of course, you can see my hands yeah. are uh, not on my keyboard. Um, I'm, I can go with one, I think. One. I'd, you can I'm name go- one club. Yeah. Two. Matt can name two. Can you name <laughs> yeah. three, Chuck? I'll try for three. We'll, you try, we'll for three. try for three. You're going to try to name three clubs that I'm not try- play for. I've, I've got, what, over a thousand clubs to guess from for two and three? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right. You're going to have to call in on Connor now, aren't you? I mean, you can do. Let's start it off with Spurs. Obviously, yeah, Spurs. He's played for Spurs. I'm going to go Galatasaray. (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) Oh, my God. Not even close, Chuck. You should have rung me. Can I steal? No, there's no, there's no steal in this, Matt. Oh, you, if I get, you, if I get, you still get the point, Matt, because Matt got it wrong. I because Chuck okay. got it wrong, so you still get the point. But isn't it Olympic Lyon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's the third stats? So he started off in 2016 at Amiens uh, in France, yeah. uh, then went to Olympic Lyonnais, and then went to Tottenham Hotspur in 2019. So that is Nombele's clubs. So now it's your turn, Matt. The yeah. next player is Fabian Delph, who has played for four clubs. Can you name all four clubs that Fabian Delph has played for? Name three. Name three clubs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chuck, can you name four clubs? Can you name all four that Fabian Delph has played for? No, I've got three as well. Would you like to ask Connor to go and add one club? Yes, I would. Can he add, can he add the club after <laughs> I've said my three? Nope, you need to go and add him now. Basically, well, the way it will work is if you think you can name four clubs. Well, no, okay, in fairness, um, you, you can add him after you said your three, but it depends if he knows the last one. If, <laughs> it, if, if the one that he knows is one of your three, then you, obviously you don't win. Then it's use, it's worthless. <laughs> it is worthless, yeah. <laughs> uh, are are you going to use I, Connor? I'll use Connor. Okay, so Chuck, name your th- name three of the clubs you've got, and then Chuck, can name, uh, Chuck Connor can name the fourth one. Manchester City? Yes, one. Uh, it's West Ham. No. No. Oh my God. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. Um. no. Well, can can he still draw? Because I know he's got that one. But say if he's calling me and I give him one, and Matt can then he if no. Matt can't do four. No. If, if no. I get it wrong, that's it. The way it works right. is if you, if you if you if you bid a number and you don't get it, you lose. Um, yeah. Don't worry. This te- happened. This, what this team happened? were you gonna? Yeah. Go, go, go ahead. Was... Chuck, go ahead. I don't want to say because I'm probably wrong again. That's all right. Anyway, <laughs> Connor, do you want to name your team that you had in your mind? The, the one, the one team you're gonna give Chuck. Um, Evan. That's that, that, mm. that's true. That's who he currently plays yeah. for. I was gonna say Aston yeah. Villa as well. So well, yeah, that was Vill- a- yeah. Aston Villa. That's the reason Chuck. You must have got confused between the kids. Yeah, Aston Villa I, and West I did. Like, I was, was it West Ham Aston Villa? Which one was it? Mm. I'll go yeah. West Ham. So yeah. if if I go through his career in 2006, 2006, 2006 started off at Leeds United. Uh, went, Leeds? Yeah, Leeds, Leeds in 2009 went to Aston Villa, then 2015 went to Manchester City, um, and then 2019 went to Everton. So currently it's 2 0 to Matt. It could be a whitewash. <laughs> it was almost it whitewashed last week, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I brought it back to 3 2, so I could do All it right. again. So, Chuck, you've used, you've, you've used a friend of friend. Uh, Matt hasn't just yet. So now we're going on to the third player. The third player is Jordan Ayu. 
Jordan no, Ayew. It's a hard one because of Andre Ayew <laughs> as well. He has played for oh, six wait. clubs in his career. Jordan Ayew. Oh my god. Okay. So Chuck, how many of the six clubs of Jordan Ayew's can you name? Let's go with three. Three, Matt. Can you name four clubs that Jordan Ayew's no. played for? Do you want to use Connor to add a fourth no. club? To okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Chuck, can you name three clubs Jordan Ayew has played no, for? No, I think both Ayews played for this club in Swansea. That's one. Uh, Leicester. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, all right. So, Matt has already won the game. We're going to still play the five teams, you know, for everyone, because he's got two players here. So we'll see if Chuck can at least get it to respectable 3-2. But <laughs> So the, the club that Jordan Ayew has played for started off his career in 2009 at Marseille, mm-hmm. uh, then went on loan to Sochaux, then went to Lorient on a season, uh, just mm. for a season. In 2015, went to Aston Villa. In 2017, went to Swansea. And then from 2018 onwards, has been at Crystal Palace, where he currently is now. Come on, you mm. if you'd have, If you'd have rang me, if you'd have rang me up, Matt, I would have said Lorient. Just let you know. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, I have Ring, had Rings of Bell. Marseille and uh, Crystal Palace. So. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think Chuck was trying to bluff you and then you didn't play for the bluff. So you said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. I was trying to bluff him. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to tempt me, but I was like, oh, Connor. Yeah. Cool. All right. There, there we go. So <laughs> the fourth the, the fourth player we have to try and let Chuck get some credit, some credit back, you know, some some honour back in the oh, game. Zero credibility, zero honour in this game. The fourth <laughs> player is David James, Calamity James. He has mm. played for 10 clubs in, in his entire career. How many, I'll go for Matt first, how many of the 10 clubs David James has played for can you name? Two. Two? Yeah. Chuck, how many can you name? Can you do better than two? Can you do three? I'm going to have to try, aren't I? I think so. <laughs> I'm going to have I mean, to try. You, you can ask Connor, obviously, for the extra... Um, oh, no, you I've can't use yours. You use yours. No, you can't. Well, do you reckon you can name more, more than two clubs that they've done? You know them three oh, or above? Calam- Calamity James. Calamity David James. Well, we've already spoken about one, haven't we? Mm-hmm. In, in yeah. Pompey. Pompey. Um... You could, you, you could have just given Matt one there, Chuck. You don't name the clubs before you take take the guess. You could have given him a free I have. I'm... <laughs> I've, I've what, taken, you haven't been in your You haven't been in your I wasn't here the first three. Part of the episode. So, so, okay, yeah. <laughs> you're three. taking three, definitely. Okay, you're definitely taking three. Cool. So, Portsmouth won. What are the other two? Can you name two other clubs that Calamity James have played for? Hey, is Matt going to go for four? No. <laughs> no? no? Okay, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> In, yep. his 20, so, in, in, in his over tw- almost tw- over twenty year career, he's had twenty four tw- year, twenty five year career almost. I'll go with Aston Villa again. That is correct. You got two Aston Villa and Portsmouth. Aston Villa, What's Portsmouth, Nor- Norwich. No, he's not played for Norwich. No, he not played for Norwich. Norwich. So he started off his career in nineteen eighty eight at Watford, uh, then went to Liverpool in nineteen ninety two, um, then went to Villa in nineteen nine, West Ham in two thousand and one. Manchester City in 2004, Portsmouth in 2006, Bristol City in 2010, AFC Bournemouth in 2012, um, IBV in Iceland in 2013, and then Kerala Blasters in 2014. That is his career. Mm. Awesome. I had had City and Portsmouth. (laughs) Cool. Cool. So, Chuck, can you bring one back to make it 4-1 in the next one? Probably not. So, again, you, you, you'll get to go first on this one. This player has played for nine clubs in his professional career. 
This player is Peter James Crouch. How I many? Guessed, I guessed of, before we started know, recording this podcast. Before. I tried to hide it from you. That it was Crouchy Boy that was going to come up. I don't know so, how I guessed it. How many of the nine clubs is Peter Crouch played for can you name? Oh, I'll go with two for now. Two. Matt, can you name three, three. clubs of Peter Crouch's? Three. Can you name four, Chuck? Let's have a look at his eyes. I'll have a look at Matt's eyes. See, see how many he thinks Remember, he if Matt gets it wrong, you get a point still. So you can still make it 4-1 if Matt gets it wrong. I'm going to stick with my two. and and Well, no, because Matt was very confident. I'll go with four. You go with four, Matt. You're going to go five. Shall I make this interesting? Go for five and call in Connor and see if we can do it together. Go oh, on, God. then. Go right, on. Okay. Um, right. uh, wait, 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 Chuck. Do you take six? No, no. Oh, I'm, cool. I'm gonna, go. I'm gonna hope okay. for Matt's failure to get me a point here. Right. So oh, there's Spurs, cool. Portsmouth. Um, yep, yep. I've got those two as well. Yeah. Got three teams left. Oh, so of which you can use Stoke, one sorry. Yeah. Yep. Three. Well, those I mean, are my three. Need... You need two more, and you can use Connor for one. Let me see those uh, hands, Connor. So you've gone Spurs, Portsmouth and Stoke so far. Yeah. I'm thinking. You've got two more clubs he's played for. Of which Connor can give you one. I'm going to have to call in Connor now. Connor, can you name a club that Peter Crouch has played for that isn't Spurs, <clears throat> Stoke or Portsmouth? Can we get a timer? Can, can I get a timer yeah, on? <laughs> how long have I got? Not long. I'll, 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 I'll have to push you for an answer soon. I think I might have fucked this, guys. <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> You're giving me a little bit that. of confidence. Yeah. yeah. Um, Make sure I come back next week. All right. You've you got 10 seconds um, left, Connor. All right. Okay, count me down from 10. Then. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. Gonna go one. with just Leicester as a guess. Are you sure? Yeah. That is incorrect. Hey. Yeah, not the Chuck gets his pity point. I, I didn't <laughs> I think he did. I got my no, no, I got my consolation point. Okay, got, got, got consolation point. So Peter Crouch's career started off in two thousand well, started from nineteen eighty eight at Tottenham Hotspur, but never never played a professional game between nineteen eighty eight and two thousand. Went to QPR in two thousand. QPR Ports that was it. Two, Ports uh... of two thousand and one. Aston Villa in 2002. Villa, I was going to say Villa. On loan to Norwich in 2003. Ah, Norwich! I should have known that as well. Oh my god! Don't know. Connor lives in Norwich. (laughs) Yeah, I should have known that. (laughs) Went went to Southampton in 2004. One of the few players who played for Southampton Portsmouth. Liverpool in 2005. How did I miss Liverpool? Come on, guys! How did we not get Christ? Portsmouth again in 2008. Spurs in 2009. Stoke in 2011 and then Burnley in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Burnley as well. He was oh bigging up short and nice, wasn't he? I he think was. of Matt's failure to name those clubs. I think it was a draw this week. Uh, I don't I? think it was. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's still <laughs> first time I've had a chance to name anyone. You just got it wrong every time. <laughs> At least I tried. <laughs> there we go, guys. There we go. So thank you all for listening to this week's version of Matt versus Chuck. Matt now holds a 2-0 lead versus Chuck. So Tune in next week to see who will win the third instalment of Matt versus Chuck.
Are you or your company looking for someone to help get your name out? To get your product known to as many people as possible, then why not get in contact with us, the Free Nil Podcast, through our email, freenilpodcast at gmail.com, and you can have your ad in this part of our podcast. Hello and welcome back to the weekly wrap-up where we discuss the scores of the week and, uh, yeah, discuss the games as well. Before we start today, we at the 3-0 podcast would just like to say our thoughts and prayers are with the families of Liverpool's goalkeeper Alisson, who lost his father in a tragic accident, and Glenn Roder, who passed away after his long-term battle with illness. Back to you, Matt. Perfect. Right. So the first result of the weekend was Man City, West Ham. That finished 2-1 to Man City. Um, I don't know about you guys, but West Ham put up a hell of a fight. Oh, um, they really did try. They tried for that mm. game. It was it was the, the two centre-backs, wasn't it? Stones and Diaz stepping yeah. up after yeah. conceding after so many games. Now, they haven't... Ser- serious question with Man City is, I've seen in the last few weeks, are they turning into a really expensive Burnley side? You know, they're really solid at the back. They scored a few goals in this week. Both centre-backs have scored. That's basically <laughs> like an ideal Sean Dyke mm. performance, isn't it? I mean, in yeah, fairness, though, it. the Burnley, Burnley side, like, they're mostly known for their headers, whereas Stones' finish was more of a oh, striker-esque yeah, was, finish, was definitely a striker's finish, wasn't it? Yeah. Did you see De Bruyne's <laughs> ball for, for the Diaz header? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that on, was brilliant, yeah. On his weak peg was, what, 40, 50-yard pinpoints. The man isn't human, yeah. is he, really? He's just not... I mean, human. if you didn't... If you didn't watch the game, if you didn't watch the game and just watch like the Sky Sports highlights or whatever, the first clip is Stones and Diaz are just up front in the box for some reason. Oh, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah, if you were just watching, like, well, why the hell are they up there? But yeah, I mean, yeah. both scored. Probably, I mean, definitely, definitely Diaz, but Stones, Stones definitely coming into his own this, this season for sure. Um, is, yeah. it, is there an argument yet that you know Diaz is equally as important of a sign of a city than Van Dijk was for Liverpool? I think so. Yeah, like uh, from, from last season to this season, they they've hardly conceded any goals. They've brought him in, and he's done such a class job they, ensuring. They've, they've up been on a twenty-game win run as well. Twenty games in a row, they've won Man City mm. with Diaz in that team. Well, I was going to say, Go I on, think Matt. Diaz being in that team as well has allowed. I mean, Stones has kind of struggled to. Uh, maintain a starting ele- starting place in that starting eleven um, yeah. ever since he's been at City, but now it's looking more like that because he has got a solid centre back next to him. Whereas he can obviously he's, he's not the traditional centre back; he's just more than more than modern centre back where he just plays the balls. So he he yeah. almost plays like a DM a lot, a lot of the time. Um, I yeah, think it's just freed him up as yeah. well a little bit. I think City had lacked since like because obviously company did the job of like a real like shit house centre half, like someone who's really good getting like, their head in like the way of the ball mm. and really get their body in there. Like company did actually really well, but obviously in his last few years was quite injury prone, and obviously he's left City. So I think yeah, especially last season, City were really lacking that centre half who's going to stick their mm. foot in mm. and properly, you know, try yeah. and like put the body and in the line, which now they've got in the. He just knows where to stand, doesn't he? He knows exactly oh, yeah. where to be to cut out any sort of danger. Yeah, he's good. Um, another point in the West Ham, I just want to mention again, same as last week, Jesse Lingard. He's making every <laughs> United fan. Yeah, he slated him for the past two years. Eat his words. Like, I'd argue that, especially after, like, we'll, we'll get to the game later on, the Chelsea um, United game. But I reckon if 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 he was there, I reckon he definitely would do a better job than Dan James is doing currently. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. <clears throat> yeah, def- I'd definitely agree with that. I mean, side. Yeah, yeah, like fair play, Bad James scored a few goals for us, but you know, we'll get to it later. But he doesn't really offer anything in attack, and I think Lingard offers more in all round play when he's not necessarily maybe as quick. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I could have this wrong. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty confident because um, Man City this season. Um, I swear they've only conceded like sixteen, is it, or something? Not a lot. Not a lot. Um, I think I it is 16. That, yeah. Came out, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because they've yeah, only just yeah, um, come past the Chelsea record. Chelsea record, yeah, that's yeah, yeah the, that's that's where I saw it. Um, obviously the is it was it oh four five or my or, yeah, I, I don't know, but they oh four oh five yeah. season, yeah, yeah, they um, they conceded fifteen in a season. And obviously that West Ham 16. goal, mm. yeah, um, which one shows how absolutely insane that Chelsea record is. But just in terms of this season. Even even still, the Man City season, how mm. vital them to have been at the back for them um, this year. Like you said, Ethan, about sort of the the impact Van Dyke had when he came into into the Liverpool team, the company they had before. They needed they needed that that stalwart sort of mm. centre back. And I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea got that with Thiago Silva. Now he's injured at the minute and hasn't been playing, but it just shows how key it is to have someone like that I think in there. And I think they've got it with yeah. Diaz. He's definitely what United wanted with Maguire. Like United wanted Maguire <laughs> to be that. Oh that, my you know, god! Yeah, <laughs> that, that that sort of shit house, no nonsense centre half. Um, who, who can also play on the ball because because both Thiago Silva and Diaz can also play on the ball, which is obviously a requirement to play centre half nowadays. But yeah, it seems Diaz and I mean Thiago Silva's done well, but Chelsea you know, have have struggled at times. But yeah, Diaz mm. has taken City to another level this season. Yeah. All right. Right. Is that what we want? Should we move on? Yeah, please, can we move on to the next game? Because the next game is insane. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) the next game, West Brom won Brighton nil. And it was probably Mm -hmm. the best game to watch as a neutral, I'd argue, um, Mm. uh, this weekend. Because it was just the funniest game to watch. I mean, Brighton missed two penalties. Um, Who who was it that (laughs) took the first penalty? I forget. Gross. Uh, Gross, was it? it Pascal Pascal Gross? Yeah, Pascal Gross. He hit the crossbar. Um, yeah, first penalty, and then Danny Welbeck stepped up and hit the post on his on their second penalty. Yeah. So there's two penalty takers that missed, or I say hit the target, now, but he didn't. Now, listener, you might think that's the funniest bit of all this. <laughs> no. There was a free kick incident in that game if you didn't watch it. Where uh, was it, Pascal Gross again? No, it wasn't. No, Gross. it's Lewis, Lewis Dunk. Lewis Dunk, Dunk stepped yeah, up Dunk. to take a free kick. And spoke with the referee asking, can I take the free kick? Referee said yes. Blew his whistle. Dunk took the free kick. And whilst the ball was in the air, the referee noticed the goalkeeper's out of place and blows his whistle again to stop play. This is madness. That, it, it, that's it, the yeah. story that happened. And you'd think, okay, they're just going to yeah. retake the free kick. Got, the, they, the referee goes, let's retake the free kick. About a minute and a half later, we're giving a goal. Two minutes <laughs> later, okay, no, to no, clarify, we're going to do free kick. That was, that was VAR that stepped in. Yeah, VAR did so, step in yeah. and, got, and sorted it all out for us. What what I would say is that this wasn't necessarily a problem with VAR. I think it was a problem of Lee Mason's own incompetence and not knowing how to referee mm. properly. Oh, for <laughs> because, sure, yeah. yeah. Because mm. like Lee Mason's faced a lot of scrutiny in the past season or two anyway. Even like I think after last night's game, and I think I think it was Keith, Keith Hackett as an old Premier League referee from back in the day was calling him out saying that he needs to pretty much retire from the game because he's terrible, but you know, we don't want to don't referee bash their humans too, even if they can't do their job properly. But um, but yeah, that, that that decision, it just seemed like he completely lost his head, didn't he? Like he'd 
he'd obviously thought he he obviously, he obviously didn't check whether Westbourne were ready. Blew and didn't even pay attention. Then absolutely crapped his pants when he noticed that the entire Westbourne team wasn't ready. And then in his entire panic that ensued, just forgot the rules of football and had to wait for VR to go. Lee, you, you do know you can't do this. And he's like, oh, all right, then I'll go with what you say. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. farcical. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Other than that, I mean, there are three huge moments, really. <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, otherwise, that was quite an entertaining game. Um, yeah. It was end to end a lot of it. Brighton as well. mm. I do feel sorry for Brighton as a team because, like, they, like, they, they, they play some really good football at times. And it, like recently in the past few games, they beat Leeds and Liverpool and Spurs all 1-0 recently. And it shows that they can mm. you know play well. Mm. They just really lack a proper goal scorer. Like, they've got no one in their team who can hit like, 10, 15 goals a season. And that's mm. really an issue. Like, well, I mean, they I had think, Glenn Murray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, I, think, I think with Graham Potter, I think Glenn Murray was never going to fit that sort of a system, was he? He likes mobile no. players and Glenn Murray's in his mid-30s. But yeah. I saw a stat yesterday that I think Brighton have one of the worst XGs. I think that they have the worst XG in mm. the league of like minus eight or minus nine almost <laughs> in terms of goals. Mm. Yeah. But I think they've created the fifth most chances of any team in the league. Mm. Yeah. So mm. it is an absolute Shocking. insanity that no one up top from them can actually, you know, they couldn't hit water if they a boat. That's how bad they've been this season at finishing. But yeah, right. So next game was Leeds nil, Aston Villa one. And uh, quite a close game, really. Yeah, I mean, just weren't too much in that. I mean... Ollie Watkins um, shot. El Ghazi made the run inside, managed to control it really well of a hard pass so shot. Yeah. It was so scuffed, yeah. wasn't it? Would you, call yeah. it would you yeah. guys call it a cross-cum shot? Is that guys, would, you, would you call it that? <laughs> yeah, a cross-cum <laughs> shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Leeds United's pitch and, and, you know, at Ellen Road, it lived up to its name. I think you had to use two hands to count the amount of times a player slipped. Yeah, haven't they got that weird hybrid thing at the moment? Because they're relaying the pitch, aren't they? I think they've got like some weird hybrid turf at the moment. Yeah, like, it's it's not conducive yeah. to you know keeping ankles safe. I don't think. No, didn't I, I think Bamford said recently that after one of the games, that's to go and change into a pair of rugby studs because it was that bad. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, shocking. I mean, just just to give an example on the stats of that game, uh, Leeds had sixty nine percent possession. Um, but only three shots on target, whereas Aston Villa obviously had 30%, uh, or 30.8 actually they had, um, and four shots on target. So mm. that just shows that Leeds, this game, even though they dominate possession-wise, it was a close game because Aston Villa was just able to get the shots away when they actually had the possession and just made more yeah. of it. Um, I think Aston Villa were lucky at the end as well. There was a penalty shot, wasn't there, where Target took down Bamford, I think, in the penalty box. Oh, yeah. Which, which yeah. could have been a penalty. I mean... It's one of those things where probably, you know, 10, 15 years ago wouldn't have been given. Maybe, especially if, we, if you remember the, like, the World Cup for England a couple of years ago, where every time anyone touched anyone in the box, England would get a penalty. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, it could, could have been a penalty and target could have also got sent off in that game as well. But, but yeah, it's a good, good win for Villa. And obviously, they're, I mean, they're still ninth at the moment, but, you know, there's about four points between or five points between ninth and fifth. Mm. But they've so, still got know, a fair few games anywhere. in hand, haven't they? Yeah, I think they've got two games. Well, I think Everton and Villa have both got two games in hand and Spurs have got one game in hand over the top mm. six. Yeah. Yeah, okay then. Uh, right, so next game, uh, Newcastle won, Wolves won. It, it was all right. I mean, I don't think either team played as good as they could have. Triore mm. for me, is still... He's so quick, so skillful, got zero final product. Yeah. It's something yeah. that really needs yeah. to add to his game. I think game. your stats show the season. I think he scored one goal all season. It's, you know, mm. really isn't yeah. good enough. You're trying to be one of like a Premier League when... winger. He needs to be hitting the double digits really for a team like that. 
Yeah, mm. when he does have that final product, when he puts a beautiful cross in, does a beautiful shot, it just mm. looks so easy and so good, but he doesn't do it often enough. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think you can tell Wolves are definitely missing like Jimenez. Like any team would miss a player like Jimenez, but the fact that they've got like that, they're missing that focal point. And as much as like, you know, Pedro Neto and players like that are sort of coming in and filling in with a few goals, they are lacking that that, that main guy up top. And it really mm. shows that. But there, there was a late header of like with Fabio Silva had a header which was an amazing save by the Bravka, but it's one of those ones where you thought maybe if it was Jimenez there, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been able to make a save. Yeah, if, that, if you know what I mean. That that ball was hit to Bravka as much as De Bravka saved it. Like yeah, it, yeah. It, it was just, <laughs> just oh, yeah. There's the ball. He flapped his hand, <laughs> didn't he? It's a, yeah, he flapped his head. It was a, a flappy handski. Yeah. You know. Mm. Flappy Hansky, for everyone who can't see, for everyone who can't see, that was an absolutely brilliant impression there by Chuck. Yeah, oh, that, thank that you. Was brilliant. <laughs> that, that, that was excellent. Mm. I forgot yeah. podcast, not podcast. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell yeah. if it was like you know, God, God give a flapping about or Chuck drowning. So you know, that's how good the uh, <laughs> the impression was. It's one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. So next game, uh, Crystal Palace nil, Fulham nil. Bit of an end to end game. Uh, I mean, it wasn't. Filled with highlights, to be honest. I mean, the only part I can remember off the top of my head is Loft of Cheek going for goal quite a lot of times and Gary to making an amazing save, like almost point blank range to his left hand side. Um, but other than that, I can't remember too much, to be honest. There was the only bits put to mind for me is that um, Fulham centre half Joachim Anderson seemed to be their biggest goal threat most of that game, and he also took a free kick, which you know, you know, I don't know if he thought he was David Louise in that one, but it went quite <laughs> far wide at the post, but. Mm. I don't know if you guys agree, but I think, yeah, Palace without Zaha are a very, very average team. Like, they can mm. defend well, but apart from that, they cannot go forward whatsoever oh, without Zaha. Yeah, of course. You say defending well. Gary Cahill made an insane block. Like, roll back the days, roll back the years even. Um, yeah. I forget who took that shot, actually. But um, pretty much what happened was is that uh, Gary Cahill, the ball dropped down behind him-ish. And he didn't realise where mm. it was. And when he realised where it was, he sprinted back and... During this time, the other player was trying to get the ball or trying to work out where, where the ball was or get it under control. By the time he hit the ball, Gary Cahill had already managed to get a yard or two closer to him and just stretched out a leg and managed to, I think it blocked in it with his, with his thigh or something. Um, pretty much point blank range, almost. It, it, I mean, he had two other players on the line, but I mean, he was the one that made a block. Gator was there as yeah. well. He might have saved it. It's, it's hard to tell at the angles that we were given, but... Um, it wasn't yeah. the same block either way. <laughs> I think I think Fulham would be disappointed in this game not to have come away with something just because, mm. yeah, as much as Palace defended well, they did nothing. Like I said they had, they had what? Palace had 40% possession, three shots and nothing on target compared to um, Fulham having 60% possession, 16 shots and four on target. Like Fulham would have wanted to get something out of that game and they're probably disappointed that they came away with a draw, not a win. But, you know, they're only three points off safety now, Fulham. So there's a good chance that they could actually get themselves out of that relegation scrap and they're, they're, they are in the best form probably of all the teams maybe in the bottom you know five or six so yeah that's definitely they true they could escape that relegation battle okay so next game I think Chuck's going to enjoy uh, Leicester one Arsenal three I'll let you take that oh yeah so um, when the team sheet first came out for the Arsenal Leicester game uh, it included David Luiz, it included Willian it included Pepe it included Xhaka I messaged another Arsenal friend of mine and said well we've lost <laughs> so yeah um i want to just willian and pepe really stepped up this game like mm. willian got two assists you know Pe- pepe was absolutely owning the the young fullback that leicester put out yeah, so much think, so that they had to take him off at half time yeah, he, he, he was pulled at half time which is you know 
harsh. I mean, they're praising how- Mark Albright and I don't know how much better that is, but yeah. and we scored yeah. the most Arsenal goal in that game, where we got it to 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 in front of the goal within two yards with no player in front of us, nothing, <laughs> not even a goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it did make me think that um, while watching that back that game, and it made me think that the main players that actually ran that game for me were William and David Luiz. Um, because David Luiz yeah, was yeah. balls left, right, and center, and William was making runs and beating players left, right, and center as well. Yeah. Um. There was one run I distinctly remember where he just came on the left wing. I think he beat about four, three or four players, just weaving inside and out, and passed it off, um, to the right side of the play. I think yeah. it was to Pepe or something. Um, I, th- I think it made a chance. I think it got a short way. Um. It was a, yeah. It was a strange game to sort of like watch because like I thought in the first, you know, the, the first like when uh, sorry when Leicester scored their first goal. How poor Arsenal defending was for that goal. I was almost assuming I was like, oh, do you know oh, what? It's yeah. not, it'd be like a normal like route. Yeah, it was I was screaming like, at Pablo Mari, yeah. get to him, get to him. Like, every <laughs> single player for Arsenal was about to just walk away from Tillemans, expecting him not to shoot. And Tillemans went, all right then, I've yeah. got a three yeah. shot on goal. I'll let mm. it then. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, credit to Arsenal for coming back in the game. They won quite well. David Luiz scored as well. Yeah. Good header from him as well. But yeah. Leicester are really going to struggle soon, aren't they? I think. They were, uh, what, with... Barnes was injured in this game. Uh, yeah. Evans got injured as well. Um, obviously, Madison's already out. James Justin's out. They're they're starting to struggle a bit now, Leicester. And I know they mm. won their last few games, but these injuries the start to take a toll soon. I reckon. Yeah, yeah. There's only so many times you can put younger players on and expect mm. them to perform week in week out. Um, yeah. What did you yeah. guys think of the penalty? The um, Ndidi penalty was it was Ndidi you know, the one Lacazette, Lacazette scored it, but yeah, Lacazette scored Ndidi, Ndidi handball. Gave it away. Uh, yeah, well, it's, I mean, his it's, hands were it's, up, it's, up in the yeah. air. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I mean, any time in the box, really, as a defender, if you're trying to block something and your arms are that high up in the air, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. Like, and if if it goes anywhere near them, he's going to give it. Like, it's just Stonewall, really. He's going to give it. Yeah, and then, it, yeah, like, even Jack even Xhaka has learned to put his hands behind his back. So if Xhaka <laughs> yeah. can do it, and Didi definitely can. I think can. most Premier League defenders now do the whole uh, arms behind the back defending, don't they? Just to sort of, you know... Yeah. Save well, there's no excuses. Yeah, no. I, think, I think that's actually something John Terry started to do. I know Gary Cahill is definitely someone that does that. If, if anyone watches Gary Cahill now, um, I mean, obviously, he's, he's lost, a pace, lost, lost some pace, but um, he definitely still does... I, th- I think it's one of the first defenders in the Premier League to defend using that tactic of just having your arms behind your back and just hoping your legs get it and not giving away that, mm. that handball, um, which is fair enough, yeah. to be fair. Like, I don't blame him. Was, was this the handball where he wasn't actually looking at the ball? His, his head was basically off away, or was that, is this another game? No, I think that's, I think that's the West Brom penalty where, um, I can't remember what's his name, Yakushlu's penalty um, oh, okay. in the West Brom game, I think, where he's facing away from it, but... Mm. Again, at the end of the day, it's one of those ones where, again, like 10 years ago, you wouldn't have seen it given as a handball, but nowadays, any intentional or unintentional is going to be given. So, yeah. can't be putting your hands up. Okay, you know, right. Credit to Arsenal, they're now in 10th still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Still in 10th. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so next game, probably Tottenham supporters are absolutely going to love that, just the way it went. It was 4 0 to Tottenham uh, against mm, Burnley. Yeah. Um, and in Gareth fairness. Hale. Yeah, in fairness, the, the highlight of that game must be Gareth Bale. Like, the way he played, he was pinging balls, again, left, right and centre. He's one of the other players that did that this weekend. Um, but also he scored, was it was it two goals I think he got? Two goals. Two, got two, yeah. yeah. Two goals and an assist. Um, 
And Harry Kane got a great goal as well, actually. He just smashed it. Saw the goalkeeper wasn't covering his near post quite so well and just smashed it. Was that <laughs> deflected, though? I can't tell if that's the other yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, it had player. a very, yeah, very yeah, slight what? deflection. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I'm pretty sure he probably would have scored anyway, even without that deflection. Like, Maybe, yeah. The, the pace that he had on that ball, there's just no way that the goalkeeper would have been able to save that because he was too far away from his near post. I don't understand that, Ben. Goalkeeper myself, <laughs> you, you cover your near post. That's, that's your main priority. And... Um, Oh, no, the Burnley goalkeeper didn't do that. <laughs> um, but I mean, fair enough. Oh, it was Pope, wasn't it? It was Pope in goal. Um, yeah. but, I mean, to be fair to Pope, he made two or three other blinding saves. Um, one in the bottom left corner, yeah. I remember distinctively from Kane, it was. Um, Kane just fired it at the bottom left corner of um, Pope and he managed to get his left hand down to it. Um, yeah, but Burnley were uncharacteristically poor in defence, I think, this game. Like, I watched mm. the highlights and they usually defend quite well, obviously, like the two banks of four and a two out of top. Yeah, it seems Spurs time and time again just getting in between Burnley's lines. And as soon as they were like, you know, it was the pace, as much as Bale may have, may have lost a step or two, he's still quick and well, way quicker than most of those Burnley defenders. So mm. it's one of those cases, as soon as they broke the lines, you had Lucas Moore, Son, Bale, all coming in on the Burnley defenders and they just couldn't cope with it in the end, I don't think. Yeah, but definitely. It, I, I think it was yeah. one of those games where Tottenham, I mean, they didn't play amazingly, but Burnley didn't play great. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, and it caused, had the quality up top, and they trusted yeah. them, and they let them do their thing. And it co- did cause Jamie Redknapp and Roy Keane to have a massive shout and match on Sky Sports, which is always nice to go and see as well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that 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 was actually really interesting. I don't know if any of you you saw it, but um, I I do agree with a bit of both because Jamie yeah. Redknapp was making a point like these Spurs players should be good enough, like they're international level, like for Tonga and Sanchez and and Keane was sort of saying like. Oh well, playing it. Yeah, wait. Wait, did I say for Tongan? Yeah, yeah, you I did. Meant yeah, you yeah, mean. I meant Yeah, I meant yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know why I've said that. That's a bit weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sanchez and Alderweireld. Yeah, he's talking about them too. Um, and yeah, and Roy Keane was saying just because you play international level doesn't mean you're a good player. Um, they <clears throat> he mentioned Regulon. He mentioned Doherty. Um. Mm. Yeah, um, but yeah, that if any of you haven't seen that, then I'd I'd recommend you go watch that. Yeah. Quite interesting little little debate. But I did I did feel like it was it was a, it was a serious debate for a bit. But you did you did get the feeling that Roy Keane was sort of playing up to the cameras and just purposely winding up Redknapp a bit because I yeah, think as soon, would, as soon as Roy yeah. Keane noticed Redknapp was getting a bit flustered, Keane was just going the entire Spurs team is shit. None of them can play football. <laughs> yeah. Redknapp was getting more and more angry. Yeah, Keane yeah, was just sat yeah. there laughing at himself. <laughs> Yeah. Did you see uh, before the match started? Um, was it Robbie Savage <laughs> talking about how if uh, Spurs, you know, finish sixth or seventh and win the 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 league title, not the league title, the league cup, league cup, yeah, the league oh, cup. Not, I thought they were in the FA Cup, not the league cup. No, no they're in the league cup, cup final against City, Manchester City. Oh, okay. Is that right, success? Yeah. Is will that be success for Tottenham? I mean, for Spurs fans, yeah, because they've won a trophy since like 2000. Is it... But with the when team that they have, Robbie Savage just kept on going, kept on going. Is is coming seventh and winning the league, the league cup, success for them? It was it was really annoying to see because it's yes, it is success. They haven't won a trophy since 2005. I mean, it's still uh, a trophy. I think, I think it's 2008. It was 2008. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a trophy. I mean, it's a trophy, and you give them like say if they were to beat City, right? Um, you give them their uh, few days at the most um, celebration, like after the game, you give them that. And then it's a trophy they haven't got since however long. But the fact of the matter is they finished seventh. They've had a poor season. 
And I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, our, our League Cup's a thing of the past. Like, I mean, you see, you see Liverpool playing full youngster teams now, not really going for it. Like, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, but Klopp hates any competition that isn't the Champions League or Premier League. Yeah. So he, he's like, <laughs> he, even the FA mm. Cup, he has no respect for. So mm. yeah, but I, I mean, in fairness, the the League Cup is arguably the least important trophy other than the yeah. Community Shield because. If you're going for a, a general English domestic cup competition, you're going for the FA Cup. If you're going for the league, yeah. obviously you're going for the Premier League. If you're going for just a general cup, you're going for the Champions League, aren't you? Um, and then next best is yeah. Europa League after that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's like that. It's like that the debate of what's better, the FA Cup or Europa League. And it's hard to it's hard to say really because one of them is like lesser European greatness, yeah. but it's still a European Cup. But then you've got the FA Cup, which is the best team technically in England. Um, it depends on what you get out of it, though, because the FA, cause arguably, winning the Europa League gets you a better result. Like winning the Europa League gets you a Champions League place, whereas winning the FA Cup mm. only gets you a Europa League place. So, in, in in theory, the actual prize of winning the the, the, the two yeah. competitions, mm. the Europa League prize is better. But obviously, the FA Cup's got more prestige. Mm. And so yeah, a lot of Arsenal gonna... fans saying the FA Cup is amazing, and then <laughs> yeah, the FA Cup is amazing. But I think both Tottenham and Arsenal, their main concern this season now is going to be Europa League. Like oh, yeah. we we mm. we can't get anything out of the league, so Arsenal are going to be going for the Europa. And I I'll think be completely Tottenham will honest. What well, on Arsenal's form? Unless you seriously pick up soon, I don't I don't even know if you're going to get even close to Europa League. Like I'm looking at the table at the moment. You're currently what you're. Let's say that seventh place does get Europa League. Let's oh, say, no, no, no. Let's... We, we, we won't get Europa League in, in the league, but we're focusing on winning it this season and getting Champions League. That's what winning I'm saying. Europa League. Yeah. You, you, maybe. I mean, everyone's got a chance, but I don't know. You, listen to that. A United fact. Listen to that. You've well, got be, a chance. You've got a we'd chance. We'd be a sausage at 4 0. You've got a chance. Benfica. Like Saka dragged you out of that game, although it was going to be the most Arsenal loss ever, isn't it? Like the usual go out and away goals versus Benfica side or a fourth in the Portuguese league. It was a very Arsenal result before Saka. <laughs> yeah, but, you, it, but... Sh- it it showed personality in the team, didn't it? It, it showed a real strength of character. Well, we'll see. I don't know who, who've Arsenal got in the next round, but you know, Olympiakos. Oh, I may not oh, fl- flashbacks. Flashbacks. That, yeah. there, that is definitely a loss right there. That is definitely a. <laughs> Joel, away Joel goal Campbell isn't playing for them loser. anymore, right? Is it? No, but Socrates is. Socrates is. Oh, Socrates! He'll score. He'll score and yeah. knock us out. He'll score and <laughs> knock us out. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, that, that was Spurs game. Mourinho's yeah. terrible. Spurs aren't going to do anything, and you know, it'll be the <laughs> never-ending thing of Tottenham just getting close but not quite close enough mm, yeah that, that's my opinion anyway yeah anyway so the second from last game is Sheffield United nil Liverpool 2 um thing I got from this game really was that Trent Alexander-Arnold is starting to get back in form um again I've said this this is the third time now I've said this about one player but um pinging balls left right and centre um but this that's what Trent usually does I mean and he did that today or this weekend yeah um he was, he was able to put those crosses in and make chances yeah yeah it was, it, it was, it was... I think it was one of those it was one of those things where maybe the result was better for Liverpool than necessarily the performance because I think some of the goals like obviously like the, the goals were all right but I think they're more caused maybe by Sheffield United poor defending rather than Liverpool's own individual brilliance but I think the rut that Liverpool mm. have been going through I think they needed like a couple of goals but one player I did want to highlight out of Sheffield United or so two players I wanted to highlight out of Sheffield United one good and one bad uh, Ramsdale has been under like an immense amount of like scrutiny this season 
obviously while well, Sheffield United have been, you know, stinking at the bottom of the league. But Ramsdale was amazing. I think against Liverpool, mm. it would have been a lot, lot worse game if he wasn't in mm. goal. Um, and unfortunately for Ethan Ampadu, I know he's a Chelsea loney. I think is he a loney or is he? Yeah, no, he is. He is. He's, he's yeah, 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 he had an absolute nightmare this game. I think yeah. I watched a lot of highlights like. Like he lost a header against Mane early on, which almost let Liverpool get in. Like he he gave away the ball like another point, and I think he he was really struggling in that game. But I think it's just maybe it's more of like a symptom than a cause of Liverpool. Sorry, of Sheffield United's defence just being bad in general, and that he's sort of you know being a young man, he is maybe he's necessarily mm. not he isn't the man to drag that team forward, is he? So he's probably just suffering alongside the rest of the defence. Mm, yeah. Um... Just one more thing I would like to mention about that game. Uh, Curtis Jones, his finish. I mean, he's been the main man for Liverpool since he's come in, really. Out of the three midfielders mm. that played, was it Wijnaldum and um, Thiago? Thiago, uh, yeah. And Curtis Jones. Curtis Jones yeah. was by far the best midfielder out of them three that game. Um, and just his goal, it just dropped kind of nicely for him. But the way he shaped up for it, he's just like, OK, it's dropping there. He just took a few steps and just smashed it into the bottom corner. Yeah. And you could tell he's composed. He's just the most comfortable what, on the ball, really, that game. What are your guys' thoughts on Thiago so far? Because I think he's been an absolute... I'm not going to say he's been a flop, but he's, he's not really not for him. done what Liverpool fans necessarily would want him to do. Like, There's the whole memes online about being a thumbs-up merchant and not really doing much else. <laughs> and obviously, he, he's got the quality he's shown, he's shown at Bayern Munich, but I don't know. He he, he seems to yeah. have, he, he seems to be a luxury player and Liverpool maybe don't have the, like, the actual... you know the facilities to have a luxury player at the moment when they're going through this this poor one of form or they've just got out of the poor one of form they had. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think that's yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with it as well. <laughs> not, more, not 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 too much to sort of sell on that. Mm. I mean, you think he's he is a quality player, and whether he's come from Bayern or Barnsley, I think stepping up to the Prem, like it's it, even even Bundesliga to Prem is miles different. It's such a different game, and some some players adapt to it better than others. And you and you'd like to think he he would he would literally just take it in his stride, but he seems to be struggling a bit at the minute with it all. Um, but I mean, give give him a bit of time. Give him a bit of time. He hasn't he hasn't been, he hasn't been bad bad. You just you you just kind of expect more from him, I guess. But yeah. I mean, I, I don't no, think he's been better than Jorginho, to be honest. Chelsea. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> um, to be fair, yeah. You know, it, it's a similar type I, yeah. of player. That's all I can say, really. I, th- I think one of the issues maybe is that I've heard pundits say before about Thiago is that he's a he's, he's a Guardiola player in a Klopp system. Like Liverpool's midfielders aren't really there to go and create chances. Like, like mm. the whole thing is that there must be a function midfield that are the first ones to win the ball back to then play it out to mm. the wide players or play it to the mm. front three and. I understand why Liverpool brought him in because you do need a plan B and, you know, teams would, would start to suss out Liverpool and if they're just playing a one way. But, you know, can he press as well as other players? If it's a mainly pressing system, he's, you know, there's, there are fitness concerns around him. Like, he has been an injury-prone player in the past and I don't know. I think the yeah, jury's still out, but like yeah. you mentioned, like, you need, to give, you need to give him time though. Yeah, I definitely agree with that that statement you said about um, playing in a Guardiola, Guardiola system, really. Or whatever you said it was. Um, <laughs> play in a top system. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's fair. Um, yeah, I agree with that because literally Liverpool's midfield, like you say, is just win it back. It's like the just engine room. Like just do the dirty work, mm. get the ball, get it to the good players, um, press high. And I mean, uh, similar similar to um, Bayern way really. Um, Guardiola's Man City. They just their midfield is not that. Their midfield is temp- tempo, keep it forward, forward balls. Um, mm. 
totally, well, yeah, fairly different to how Liverpool play. And I mean, like, you think of who they had in the, who they have in their normally seven midfielders: Wijnaldum, Cater, Jones, Henderson. They're all they're all like they're all built like sort of bulldogish players in the middle. Like they did work, they graft. Like he and he isn't that. He ain't that. But yeah, I mean. Like I said, give it time, give it time. Um, he might he might adapt well. And like you say, Matt, he hasn't been that much better than or if any better than Jorginho, really. And I mean, I know oh, he's yeah. got I know he's got a few seasons of Prem under his belt already, but similar style players, but he's definitely been the better player, Jorginho, this year. But for sure. So, <laughs> talk, yeah. Just just mm. talking on Jorginho, shall, shall we move on to the next game? Because I I feel like this yeah. I feel like this next yeah. game is there's gonna be a punch <laughs> up. I really yep. feel like and well, I, I think listener, go pause the stream. You know, get yourself a cup of tea and come <laughs> back because you're gonna be you're gonna be here for a while. Yeah. So mm. so the next game, Chelsea nil, Manchester United nil. Um, massive moment really in the game was a penalty shout for Man United. What happened was is that uh, ball was it a save from Mendy? It was a it was a free kick first of all, and Rashford yeah, took Ra- Ra- Rashford took his free kick. It was. Right. It was similar to one that he scored a couple of seasons ago against you from quite far out. But yeah, it was a rashed free kick that Mendy punched, didn't he? We actually had a tall goalkeeper yeah. in that though, so. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. Um, so Mendy parried it out towards the right-hand side of his box. And just so happened that Hudson-Odoi and who was the other player? Was it, was it? Greenwood. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were chasing the ball down, but the ball was bouncing up and down. And they were trying, both of them were trying to protect the ball. And it just so happened to tap uh, Hudson-Odoi's hand almost pretty much on it. It looked like he was wearing a ring almost when they, when they paused it and looking at it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was just a really slight tap. Um, and that was that. And that, that's basically what happened. All the Chelsea players, well, all the players around actually thought that uh, Greenwood, it was a handball from Greenwood. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, in fairness, my opinion is that if you look at the rules and I'm no Ethan's attack plan of attack. Yeah, of course, of course he's got the rules that, there. Will be that it was a penalty <laughs> according to the rules. Um, which is which? Which I'd say, yeah. If you look at the rules, it is. But um, the ref is what happened was in the actual games. VAR looked at it and said to the ref at the time, "You need to go and look at it." He went over and looked at it and then said, "Well, that's not a handball <laughs> because it was completely by accident." He's barely looking at the ball. He was just trying to protect and basically nudge Greenwood did, out the did, way and shield. Did the ball. you hear? Did you hear what he said to um, Luke Shaw or Harry Maguire though? I think it was Harry Maguire. What the ref fun, actually yeah. said, that. that, that that's yeah, very yeah, he said he couldn't give it because there'd be so much uproar afterwards about the decision in general. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Bearing in mind, um, Man United and Shaw, you know, I'm doing quotation marks now. Withdrew that statement a few a few hours later, probably you know, when, when the FA came knocking on Man United's door, and were like, <laughs> "Big finding coming." Unless you say you, you, you misheard yeah. it. So apparently, Luke Shaw misheard that, even though in the pre mm. the post match interview. He was very clear in what he heard. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because literally, like we spoke about in in this in this in this recap, in the Leicester game, hits his hits his arm and DD or yeah, and it's a penalty. Like mm. I, I don't fully obviously Ethan, you've probably got the rule blooming tattooed on you now. Um, but it, <laughs> like I I I generally don't I, I generally don't understand, right? If if the rule is right. Ball, ball hits hand equals handball equals free kick penalty whatever. Mm-hmm. Why has he? Why has he not given it? Because he can clearly see it has it has in the door's hand. I right. I think from, from what I saw and, and and from the way that a lot of the pundits were saying as well is that 
there's there, there, there's two bad things that have happened there. One of which, which shouldn't happen anyway, is a lot of both the a lot of players from both teams, so Chelsea players and United players, were standing around. I think it was Stuart Atwell as referee was standing around him as he was at the VAR, VAR booth, and they were talking yeah. to him as he was looking at the VAR replay, which in the rules you shouldn't even go anywhere near the referee when he's doing the VAR yeah. stuff. So there is the argument of was he necessarily influenced by certain players, and then. I mean, the point that Luke Shaw made was like, why even they waited a good like two or three minutes after the play had finished, so after the play had gone on, to then call it back to then review for the handball. And like Luke Shaw's argument was like, well, why? What was the point in ending the flow of the game that was going on at that point to then call it back for a handball if then the referee didn't think it was a handball? I I I argue that the referee was necessarily influenced maybe by by you know pressures because there was. Not necessarily yeah. from the game, but from just in general. The referees are under so much scrutiny nowadays that you know maybe there's maybe he was actually just afraid to actually make like you know give give that penalty in that circumstance mm. because there'd be so much like you mentioned there'd be so much talk about it that mm. he got into mm. his own head. But yeah, uh, one other thing I want to mention quickly um, is that even before it wasn't it shouldn't have been a free kick because I don't know if if you saw, but what happened was is that. Mason Mount. Oh, what the McTominay, McTominay yeah, Mount. Yeah, yeah. What, ha- what happened was it, was it was a, in quotes, clash that the commentator said mm. um, uh, between the two players. But actually what happened was is that McTominay went for the, well, they both went for the ball, which is which is fair enough. But McTominay's knee ended up in Mount's head almost and pretty much just mm-hmm. crashed into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, which, and that went Manchester United ways, uh, Manchester United's way, which in my opinion shouldn't have been. Like if you go, if your knee's going towards someone's head, Surely that's the opposite way around. The only argument um, would be that obviously Tom they won the ball. Um, also, what, what about the handball rule? I was going to say they they were throwing the word around unnatural, yeah, un, an unnatural position a lot um, during the analysis of of the, of the actual decision, um, whether his arm or hand was in a, a natural or unnatural position for the ball to hit it. Um, so. Like I'll go back to the previous point again. Indeed, the arms in the air are natural, like mm-hmm. so they said. So they give it, but it's it, uh, on the replays to me. It looks like Callum Hudson Odoi, right, is going in to get his arm um, underneath Greenwood and kind of obviously shoulder him, sort of push him, get his arm in there to shield this ball for himself to take out or to clear or whatever. Greenwood's looking like he's doing the exact same thing. But gets mm-hmm. his gets his left arm underneath Adoy, which then pushes Adoy's right arm up higher. So then the ball ball comes in and, and, and hits it at a higher angle itself. Like yeah. it yeah, that's it's just an it's such an awkward, mm. an awkward thing. But yeah. I like, think it's one of those decisions where if you were to give it that way, it would have been controversial, like you say. But you can't yeah. the argument for just isn't strong enough to give that as a clear-cut penalty. And I think that's what VAR was brought in for, is clear and obvious. If, if we're going, like, I've I've got the actual, like, definition here, and it's, it's, it's not wordy, but there's a lot of points. So, like, the, the, the whole handball rule is demonstrated here. So, it's, it's a, the way it goes, it is an offence if a player deliberately touches the ball with their hand-slash-arm, including moving the hand-slash-arm towards the ball, mm-hmm. or if they score the opponent's goal directly from with their hand and arm, even if accidental. Um... And it goes on with a few other bits here about like, you know, creates goal scoring opportunities, scores in the opponent's goal, blah, 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 blah. But it says here, the above offences apply even if the ball touches a player's hand slash arm directly from the head or body or foot of another player who is close. Except for the above offences, it is not an offence if the ball touches a player's hand slash arm 
directly from the player's own head or body, directly from the head or body of another player who is close, or if the hand arm is close to the body and does not make the body unnaturally bigger, or when a player falls and the hand slash arm is between the body and the ground to support the body, but not extended laterally or vertically away from the body. Now, that's about as clear as mud going yeah. on from what this is saying, because mm-hmm. essentially what the rule says is that the above fences apply even if the ball touches a player's hand slash arm directly from the head or body of another player who is close. But then it says it is not an offence if the ball touches a player's hand or arm directly from the head or body of another player who is close. So I understand, it- you know, why, you know, referees are, are struggling at the moment, but... Mm. I mean, yeah, that, it's, it's that, that was the point I was, I was watching match of the day and uh, Alan Shearer's point was the fact that the referees uh, are not a fault here. It's the the FA or the people that are making these rules because they, yeah. they can't keep up. It's too complicated because if you go back to the mm. start of the season, the handball rule was clear. Like if it touched pretty much, if it, if it touched your hand, it was yeah. clear. Almost yeah, what yeah, it was like. yeah. Whereas they, they changed that, yeah. the rule mid-season to what it is now and the referees are getting more confused um and it is unfair on them to be to be honest because you know they're trying their best they're any human like we've said before um but yeah, yeah. I, I think obviously i'm a chelsea fan so there's going to be bias but i think in fairness when you add it all up it did look like the right decision because any other player i, I think it was is it alan murphy or someone murphy the, the other arsenal player was a pundit at the time on match of day uh, him and alan Shearer agreed saying um Dan, Daniel Murphy in them. Uh, him and Alan, Alan Shearer agreed to say, well, it's not a penalty, but if you look at the rules, it is a penalty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, from 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 my perspective, obviously I'm a Chelsea fan as well. Um, see, I'd, I'd like to think if the if the actual rule was, if it's hit his arm or hand, handball, it's a penalty, I'd have been like, right, well, fair enough, it is, it's hit mm-hmm. it and it's a penalty, I can't moan at it. From your perspective, Ethan, you're probably going to be looking at it thinking, well, it's a penalty, it's hit his arm, whatever, it's yeah. a penalty. And, um, but at the time when I saw it, I don't uh, see that's this this is this is the this is the thing it's what is the rule what like you say it's yeah. always changing always mixing about like these refs have 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 a job to do and when they keep getting changed it's kind of it's kind of a bit of both it's like well well I know I know this from this rule but the new rule is this yeah. so how do I how do I sort of officiate yeah. that but it's uh, is it was a hard yeah. one for me I I'd have been I, I think it would it would have been very harsh to give it. I think it would have been very harsh to give it. They didn't give it, but like like I said, if the rules if the rule is it's hit his arm or hand and it's a handball, yeah. it's handball. But uh, obviously, I, yeah. I think what what we need is consistency, and obviously, yeah. I, I'm gonna be biased, but if if, if you're giving the the handball against um, mm. the West Brom player and you're giving the handball against Ndidi. You can't mm. then not give a handball in this instance because essentially that muddies the water even more now because now you've got two instances in one weekend where a handball's been given for a not like an an indirect handball, but then you've then got a situation in the United game where there's been a handball given for an, sorry it's not been given as a handball for an indirect handball, so then it almost makes it even more difficult to understand because there's no consistency amongst refereeing. But but yeah, I mean if 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 I'm going to the actual game itself to try and you know not roll on for too long on the on, on the whole handball point. I think the result of the end, nil nil was pretty fair. I think both teams were solid defensively mm. and didn't really create too much. I think yeah. Chelsea might have had the better chances, but Ziek, you know, Ziek's chance, right, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, Ziek is not known for his fin- finishing ability. I mean, he's literally just known for passing it. <laughs> um, yeah. 
So, I mean, he was just the wrong player at the wrong time. Yeah. In my opinion, he shouldn't have started, to be honest, because he hasn't... Yeah, I don't think he should have started either. This season, I, I he think, hasn't been yeah. as influential as everyone thought he would be. Um, the selection seemed quite odd as well from, like, from, from, from like um, you know, uh, Tuchel's point of view. Like, United seemed to deal with your attack relatively well because you have no real pace up there. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, like, yeah. you started, like, you know, what, Ziyech, Mount... I know Mount's quite quick in general, but mm-hmm. with Giroud and Ziyech there, like... Maguire and Lindelof, like get a bit, get a bit of pace <laughs> against them, it's going to trouble them. Whereas the only thing I'll say United were really struggling down is, is our right hand side, but that was almost because of our own problems. Because you had Wan Bissaka and James, who were both terrible on the ball. And there's mm. so many times in that game where I saw Wan Bissaka was looking for the short ball and James was running in behind, and Wan Bissaka ended up just fucking it 20 yards forward and <laughs> yeah, going out for yeah, a, like, a goal kick. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean. I mean, with I mean, with with Tuchel's selection or or Tuchel's selection, um, I'd I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he got it wrong with Giroud and Ziyech, right? Not even so much with both of them as a pair, just maybe mm. just maybe one of them. Um, but in my opinion, you've got to change it at half time. I know Hudson and Doy came off um, with a thigh problem. Again. He had a nice pack on it. Yeah, again. Mm. Um, but I. I just think giving him the benefit of the doubt with the selection, yeah, but at half time, you see how high line um, Lindelof and Maguire were playing. They were comfortable with how it was. And mm. that that spreads up the pitch. That spreads so far up the pitch. Like when, when Chelsea yeah. were trying to play out and we were doing it so well, um, when you high press and high press and high press, and if you bring on a Werner instead of a Ziyech and you get the link up between Giroud, Giroud, Werner, Mount, and get get that yeah. pace in behind. It would have been so beneficial, but he left it too late. He brought him on like the 80th yeah. minute. Well, he actually uh, put get... it on for Giroud. Didn't yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So he didn't yeah. actually have a recognised yeah. striker up top either. For it did, the it did end seem of the game. really interesting the way like the game went, because I'm, I'm trying to wrap this up now, but it, it did seem like both teams dominated the areas they wanted to dominate. Like Chelsea mm. dominated that wide like they were going to because they have like that, you know, the monopoly out wide of more players. But it seemed that we were quite comfortable when you come through the centre. So I think it, yeah, both teams sort of just nullified each other and either team could have maybe snatched a goal. But I think Nilna was probably a fair result in the end. Of yeah, the I, I do actually want just... to point out Kante did so many interceptions that game. Kante and Fred, yeah. it, was, it was the battle of the two yeah. <laughs> centre midfielders that were just had engines, really. I mean, Fred did quite a few things that game, yeah. actually. That I mean, he beat quite a few players. He, he brought on his dribbling game. He had a good shot as well that almost went in. Which... If Mendy was diving, yeah. he, he didn't have that covered. Um, he took one from outside the box on his weaker foot and he just went curling, almost went in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Kante just made so many interceptions. And one, one of the ones that you, you could almost have had that game at the end of the game, I think it was McTominay making a break down the wing. Yeah. I think it was like six on two or something. Yeah. One of no, those that, two was Kante. Oh he hit God. it right at Kante. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, I mean, that, um, oh if that had been anyone God. with a, you know, if that, that was Bruno or Pogba or anyone who has a decent pass on him, it might have mm. gone through. But I think it was, it was a mixture of Kante, good inception, but also McTominay, maybe necessarily. Yeah. Choosing the my, option, literally, definitely. my head, my head was in my hands at that point because mm. there was two of them wide open. The back was mm. like, "Well, this is it. They're going to score. Yeah. That's going to be it." And he completely messed it up. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it kind of almost felt like a game of chess at the end. And it was like, it was like yeah. check, it was like checkmate. It was like, right, Stay well, mate, you mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 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 it was kind of like, well, United were happy with a point, but then they didn't want to go for it and get caught. But then Chelsea yeah. were like, right, if we lose this, this is it. But then we don't want to push in case we do we do lose mm. it. So it was kind of a yeah, weird little yeah. weird little it thing. Was. Which, but mm. yeah, but I mean, I mean, United got the point in the end. Uh, well, both teams got the point. 
obviously it's a draw. Yeah. Um, which which <laughs> which was more yeah. Sorry, I, I got there in the end. That's the way. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but generally that was definitely more of a win for United getting the point. Like they're fine sitting in second, mm-hmm. um, whatever where where they want to be, and it only, really needs to be three for us. points behind uh, Man City. Like I think. I think our chances of winning the title have gone have gone by now. We're twelve points behind them, so yeah. everyone's chance of winning the title is gone. All right. So, yeah. Well, apart from Man City, let's make that clear. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, think I mean, I mean, yeah. Best team getting COVID and not playing for two weeks for us mm-hmm. to actually have any chance of getting back. I mean, probably still draw the games in hand or any games you'd have mm-hmm. anyway. So, right. I I think that's it for the for the weekly wrap up then. So, uh, we'll be back next week. Tune in where. We'll get the three slots back. Yeah, I'll get my slot back from Ethan. I love being in your slot, Chuck. There's something that won't let me forget The way that you move You tattooed me with your lips I wore you like perfume We were like no other Two hearts on the edge But we went from lovers To just being friends It's just opinions of three people and sometimes a guest about football. The content of this show is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to disrupt or harm anyone in any way. You shouldn't make your own assumptions based on things that have been said in our podcast without undertaking your own research first. Any music we have used is thanks to no copyright sounds. You can find them on YouTube by searching NCS or going to https colon forward slash forward slash www.youtube.com forward slash user forward slash no copyright sounds.